Hey folks, it's Cody Stoffer with Playmakers Corner, here to tell you about Code Red Coaching. Competing in athletics means you've lifted the weights, you've watched film, and you've got the passion. Problem is, that's what everyone else in the state has done. Perfect your game by honing in on your mental performance with Code Red Coaching. Whether you are a team or an individual, Code Red Coaching has the tools to create mentally solid habits and set up you or your team for success. Find Code Red Coaching at coderedcoaching.com or call 720-979-1914 to learn more today. That's coderedcoaching.com or 720-979-1914 today. Now back to the show. What's good, y'all? It's Coach V, and I got your 1A recap here for week six. One last time this season. So let's go ahead and get into it. Let's start with the Thursday night game, September 28th, 2023. Only had two. One was Manuel versus Sheridan, but I'm pretty sure Sheridan is not playing any more football games this season. So that was a forfeit. And then we have Platte Canyon versus Jefferson. This one looked like to be a close game, but Platte Canyon wins it 32 to 22. Going over some stats here. Uh, Cameron Skoog obviously at quarterback. He got two touchdowns and 68 rushing yards. Sam Patterson, though, had a great day. 34 carries, geez, for 190 rushing yards and a touchdown there. Also had one reception for four yards as Platt Canyon goes ahead and wins a big one over Jefferson. If they lost that one, that might have tanked. Their playoff chances as they are kind of on the edge here. And so every win matters for Platte Canyon moving forward. Let's go ahead and move on to September 29th here, Friday. Uh, we have a couple of big games, a couple of big matchups here. Let's start with Del Norte versus Monta Vista. This game was not close. Uh, this was not one of the big matchups, but Monta Vista took care of business 62-18. to 18. Jeez. Um... Jeez, oh my god, Jacob Pacheco, 263 rushing yards and 5 rushing touchdowns as they go ahead and win there. Now, one of the bigger matchups was Buena Vista versus North Fork here. Um, Buena Vista jumping out to a solid lead, 14-0 at halftime, and then North Fork would score a touchdown in the third quarter. But other than that, would definitely be a defensive struggle, and so that's one that's going to affect our power rankings there as Buena Vista wins 14-7. to in a close one. Now, Rye versus Ellicott. As expected, Rye wins here, but a little bit closer. They win 56-28 to as Ellicott has continued to improve the season just a little bit quietly here. But Rye, like I said, wins this one 56-28 regardless. Then we have Wiggins versus Yuma. Wiggins beats Yuma 27-7 to here. A good win for them that will help their playoff chances. That is to be... Or that is for certain there. And then we have Lyman versus Burlington here. Lyman wins big 55-14 to as expected. No big surprises in that one. Uh, Denver Christian, though, does beat Middle Park, which some might have seen as a surprise here. Uh, but they beat them 28-7 to in a good one there. Holyoke versus Ray. This is a big-time matchup that would eventually affect the well it will affect the playoffs and it will definitely affect our power rankings here but Holyoke just blast Ray here 32 to 14 had a 26 to 6 lead at halftime and then the final uh, touchdowns would come or final scores would come in the fourth quarter for both teams but Holyoke gets a huge win over Ray and kind of cements themselves as that number two team in 1A right now 
Colorado Springs Christian, they take care of business, 44-0 over Rocky Ford, bouncing back with a win there. Centauri goes out and takes care of business, winning 43-6 in that big one. Uh, Ignacio Trinidad, not exactly a big-time matchup, but Ignacio wins 55-0 there. Banning Lewis Academy versus Payton. Uh, they go ahead and get the shutout there, winning 28-0. Uh, some stats here for Banning Lewis. Ben Early, four rushes for 47 yards and a touchdown. Sam Bell, their quarterback, 46 rushes. Or sorry, 46 yards and a touchdown there uh, as they go ahead and win big. It looks like their defense, I want to say, had a pretty good game. Uh, three interceptions from this defense. Jordan Jones, Jay Speck. And Dylan Skinner had an interception. Also, two forced fumbles as well as Banning Lewis gets a huge win on the road uh, against Peyton to remain undefeated. Their next game is against Colorado Springs Christian, which will be a big one. Meeker, they go ahead and play Cedar Ridge. Uh, they win this one pretty handedly, though, 33-0. Uh, Clay Crawford being the lead rusher in this one, 14 carries for 129 yards, two touchdowns. Rushing touchdowns by Cade Blunt and Sam Rodriguez, though, as they go ahead and beat Cedar Edge pretty convincingly in that one. Now, going to Saturday, had three games only here. Flatirons Academy versus the Pinnacle. This one went, as you could probably expect, Flatirons winning 42-6. Estes Park versus Highland. Uh, both teams are probably out of the playoff race here. But Highland wins a big one 34-20 over Estes Park. I think that is considered an upset there. And then Strasburg plays Clear Creek. And it looks like they win 64-8 here. So there you go. Not a lot of stats uploaded as of right now. But on the Playmaker of the Week considerations cody will talk about those but until then i will catch you later thank you coach v for that 1a recap and we have lots of 2a action here simon and i are going to be alternating here i'm going to talk about the 2a game that i went to on thursday then i'm going to pass it back to coach v to talk about the 2a game he attended on friday and then i'll bring us home with the 2a game that i attended on saturday and then we will head into our 2A recap. Lots of 2A action this week. And I started off this weekend just five minutes from my house watching the Inglewood Pirates take on the Elizabeth Cardinals. Inglewood at this point, 3-1, and one, and the Cardinals 4-0. and oh. So lots of playoff implications here as both these teams start in their league play here. So, Inglewood. They will start on their own 20-yard line, and after two TFLs, they are forced to pass in a third and longish situation where Carson Campbell winds up and uncorks a nice completion left all the way past midfield for the first and more, setting up the Pirates on the other side. This completion was to Dominic Deaver or Dever, not sure how to say that, but number 24, regardless for Inglewood, who had himself a pretty nice game, but... I digress here. They go back to the run, and the Cardinals' run defense is just absolutely dialed in. Deion Robinson eventually does pick up a few yards, setting up third and manageable. But, you know, on third and five, they complete a pass, but that is short of the first. And a penalty is accepted for a legal shift, setting up third and 11. And a handoff occurs where number 32 for Elizabeth, who I believe is Cooper Connolly, gets in position here and makes a play to force an Inglewood punt. 
Now, the Birds here have the ball at their own 20 after a touchback and after a penalty, it's to the 25, as a matter of, pa- matter of fact. Swing pass and a toss. This toss is snuffed out by number three of Inglewood, making a great play here on defense. That is Dion Robinson here with a nice tackle for a short gain and forced to play out of bounds after only a yard. Elizabeth is then staring down third down, and they throw right and pick up a first down all the way to the 40-yard line. They do a handoff left that picks up five, and on the next play, they motion number 11, Cash Randall, who catches a sweep inside, hits the hole, and leaves everyone in the dust on the way to about a 55-yard touchdown run. Special teams is missing something, though, and Elizabeth has to take a timeout before the PAT with five minutes and 14 seconds, and with the kick after the timeout being no good, they lead six to nothing here. So... They come out, the Pirates again, but the Cardinals defense is ready. James Benton, number 11, as well as number 61, who had himself a very solid game here. I want to say that's Wes Noe. Both bring down the ball carrier for a loss of four. But Carson Campbell winds up again and throws left again to number 24, again, who picks up another huge gain, again, uh, all the way to the 24-yard line. They then hand off to three who stumbles ahead for about six yards. And then they have a play action pass to the tight end number 44 who puts Inglewood on the enemy's 39 yard line. On defense, however, the Cardinals respond. Caden Long carries his offensive lineman into the backfield and forces a loss of four. Inglewood takes a timeout here with two minutes and 17 seconds left in the first. And they do a play-action pass that gets them back to the 35-yard line, setting up third and six. After a handoff went for only about a yard on fourth and four, they pass to 44, who actually fights ahead for the score. But, unfortunately, this is an illegal touching penalty since number 44 was actually covered by the outside wide receiver, and this penalty turned six into a turnover on downs. This emotional swing honestly may have been the hammer this early in the game because immediately following this, the Cardinals start off with the ball on their 37. And after a couple of short gains, they do a fake pitch underneath handoff counter to cash Randall who hits the jets, splits the safeties and scores. After that, they run an under center read option where number 12 keeps it and sprints in for the two point conversion making it 14 to nothing, that number 12 being Gavin Garcia, I believe. And it is now 14 to nothing with 11 minutes and 51 seconds in the second. And honestly, Inglewood would not have a whole lot of luck after that point, seeing as that they go three and out here and end up punting. And Elizabeth on their very next drive just hammer this run here, handing off to Connolly for five and then getting a counter to Randall that puts them all the way to the Pirates 32, and another handoff to Randall picks up another first down at the 20-yard line. They finally hand off to Cooper Connolly, who chugs his legs ahead for half an eternity and picks up the score, putting the Cardinals up 21 to nothing with 7 minutes and 43 seconds in the half. Now, down but not out, Inglewood wants to get into their bag of tricks here, and they come out with one of those tricks, calling a flea flicker, But number 61 
of Elizabeth Westnoe gets the sack for a loss of 12. And following an overthrow, it's now third and 22. They throw deep, the Pirates, that is, throw deep over the middle, and the receiver just doesn't accelerate for it. And number one of Elizabeth jumps the pass. I want to say that's Deason Lindsay here and gets a pick. Now the Cardinals, they start the drive off by getting sacked by number 44 of Inglewood. That is Jace Pronti here, who should have had a touchdown catch earlier had he not been covered. But I digress here. He starts off with a sack, and maybe the Pirates can get a little bit of momentum here because they force another short run. The Cardinals then call a patented toss play here that goes the distance for six, but unfortunately some mustard on the lettuce undoes the six and adds on a greater distance for the cards on a block in the back. But it doesn't matter as Gavin here winds up and dots up 11. That's Cash Randall who falls into the end zone for his third touchdown of the night. And it's now 28 to nothing with four and a half minutes to go in the first half. Inglewood trying to piece together a drive here. They get a nice completion to the 40-yard line to start the drive before they are unfortunately intercepted here. Well, unfortunately for Inglewood, but fortunately for the Cardinals. Number 24, Titan Tupin, I want to say is how you say that, gets an interception and returns it to the 21-yard line. And the Cardinals make very short work of this drive as they hand off to Ethan Stone, who runs in from 21 yards out to put them up 35 to nothing with just under three minutes and 40 seconds in the half. Now the Pirates here, they come out. There's a pass that's dropped and almost picked before they hand off to Deion Robinson, who finally picks up a first down on the ground. And after a few more handoffs, the Pirates are moving the ball and with a face mask are inside the 40-yard line with under a minute. They pass to number 24, who picks up another first down, and after spiking, stop the clock, setting up second and 10 from the 26 with 31 seconds left. However, they come out and they hand off the ball, and they call a timeout here with 22 seconds left. And, I mean, the Pirates, they come out with 22 seconds left, and they get sacked by number 80, who looks to be listed as Jake Burdick. And it doesn't matter what happens because the half ends here. They really ran the ball. They really ran the ball with 22 seconds left and no timeouts. Or no, they ran it with 31 seconds and one timeout. I don't know if that's any better. Um, But anyways, they come out and Inglewood, they do have to kick off. So it's not looking great, but they do force a fumble on a quarterback keeper and start with the ball on the 31-yard line going in. Now, with the ball in enemy territory, the Pirates have a chance to close this gap, maybe get some momentum going, but unfortunately, it is another interception here, and this is basically where I would call it a night here and leave this game since by the time I left, it was 35 to nothing. The Cardinals would go on to score another 14 points in the third quarter, and the Pirates would eventually score a passing touchdown. Carson Campbell to Dominic Deaver here. And the final score would be 49-6. Elizabeth 5-0. Inglewood 3-2. Elizabeth continuing to show why they're one of the top teams in 2A. And currently my number two in my power rankings. Stay tuned for the power rankings segment for more thoughts on Elizabeth following this performance. On the Inglewood side, 
Obviously not what you wanted to do at home. The passing game just was pretty spotty, and the run game was completely non-existent with an average of 1.3 yards per carry on the night. That might include sack yards, but regardless, pretty tough night. They also, you know, I mean, shout out to Riley McKee and Logan Mayo. Uh, Logan forcing the fumble and Riley recovering the fumble, so they still had a turnover on the night. And uh, Dominic Deaver on the night with seven receptions for 122 yards and a score, but just needs to put together a more thought-out game plan against Elizabeth and establish a better rhythm passing. And uh, yeah, just have to find ways to compete against these better teams if they want any hope to make the playoffs, especially because this league is super cutthroat, as I will mention right after Coach V takes us down south. We'll pop back up to Denver for another game that was only five minutes from my house. But for now, that is Elizabeth beating Inglewood 49-6. to Take it away, Coach V. What's good, y'all? It's Coach V, and I'm here to go ahead and recap Woodland Park versus Manitou Springs, the September 29th matchup, the rivalry that took place up in Woodland Park here. Going into this game, Woodland Park 1-3 here. A little bit of a disappointing season uh, to start here, but did get their first win against Colorado Springs Christian, which I feel like could be considered an upset win. So there you go there. And then Manitou Springs, on the other hand, going into this one with the exact opposite record, 3-1. and one, Their one loss being to Rye here. And this kind of being their first real... I guess, realistic matchup here. Rye is a pretty good football team. So there you go there. But let's go ahead and hop into this one right here. Manitou taking over to start on offense. It would be a touchback, so they would take over on the 20 here. On this first offensive drive, they had a pretty steady dose of Logan Moore, who just went to work running the ball, catching the ball. Either way, Woodland Park could not stop him. But at one point, he does get hurt and would not return for the rest of the game. And so that would be a game changer, I'm pretty sure, there. And so here we go, fourth and eight. Um, after some solid first downs, I believe by this point they're past midfield. Here's what happens. They go for it. Nate Gensel, their quarterback, goes ahead and throws it. Couldn't quite see who made the catch, but the receiver just had a really nice toe tap here that will give them the first down on the 18. On this drive as well, Woodland Park was pulled off sides multiple times, including a third time after that first down here. And so that would hurt them quite a bit here. And so... Oh, excuse me. Sorry, Logan Moore still in the game at this point. But uh, right here, he pounds forward on an inside zone run for six. So that would give them a first down. And then I believe he would exit the game after that. Sorry, just had to make sure I said that there. But moving on here, uh, fast forward a couple plays. It is third and 10 here. Here is what happens. Gensel, the quarterback, drops back. And he goes ahead and finds number five, Preston Rhodes, uh, near the sideline. Makes a nice sideline catch here. And he goes ahead and falls into the end zone there as Manitou Springs takes the early 7-0 lead with about 7.08 left. Now, Woodland Park, they take over on offense. And this offense just does not look good. They have a couple really bad penalties, including a blindside block penalty that makes it third 
and or sorry, second and 17. Then a bad snap makes it third and 21. Then another penalty, Jesus, on Woodland Park makes it third and 26. That's a false start. And then to make it even worse here, uh, I mean, they have to throw the ball here. And so they try to throw it, but their quarterback gets sacked by multiple Mustangs. And so that makes it fourth and 27. They would get a first down. So this isn't quite a three and out, but they would punt it. And Manitou would take over on the 40 yard line here and that would be after another bad penalty on Woodland Park. Woodland Park looking very undisciplined through only two drives of football so far and it's kind of killing them here. It is killing them here. That's why they're losing at this point and so there you go there. Now uh, after a tough holding penalty on Manitou uh, a couple plays later it is a third or sorry a second and nine here but a high snap would make it third and 19. Now, Gensel would try to throw it to Logan Moore, but it would be incomplete. And I keep saying Logan Moore was out. I know he would go out here in this first quarter, I want to say. So my apologies on that. I, I'm just not remembering it as well as I should. But there you go there. Now, Woodland Park, um, it, I, I want to say they would go ahead and take over on the 13 after a punt. Uh, but part of that, part of the reason why they're taking over on the 13 is that they run into the kicker. So yet another penalty on Woodland Park. And so here we go. Let's just go ahead and go to the second quarter. They are on the 13 here. And it, I mean, it's just not going for them, right? They're trying to run the ball and it's not working out. Kyan Bunker actually gets two really good plays here, including a pass deflection on second down. Then on third down, Manitou brings the pressure and their quarterback, uh, Woodland Park's quarterback, sorry, Marcus Schoenberg throws it and Kyan Bunker goes ahead and intercepts that one. And so Manitou takes over on the 41. And this time, I think a penalty is thrown on Manitou. And so that's why they start on the 41 instead of a little bit closer because I think at the end of that return he was closer to the 30 so there you go there but regardless here we go Woodland Park trying to make it a two score game here in the second quarter and it's not quite going well on offense at, at this point for sure Logan Moore is out and so they're trying to throw the ball um <laughs> on first down it's a dropped interception great coverage here and Gensel kind of gets away with that one. On second, he goes deep, but it's overthrown. On third down, it's high. And so, it just very inaccurate throws on this down. Just very unfortunate here. And so, it's fourth down here. It looks like they're about to go through and out and punt it. But instead, they call a fake punt to number 51. That is Asher Levine here. Plays linebacker for this team. And I want to say offensive line on offense, but I could be wrong. But on this fake punt, he goes ahead and takes it up the right sideline. Gets the first down, but then trucks a dude. Makes a couple people miss. And he is rumbling down this sideline as the Manitou Springs crowd that traveled pretty well goes ballistic here. Almost 40, it has to be 40 yards, at least uh, 40 yards on this fake punt here as Manitou takes a 13-0 lead. Now, another penalty on Woodland Park. I want to say it was uh, roughing the kicker penalty or something like that would go ahead and move up Manitou on this extra point. And so they go for two here and Nate Gensel pounds it in left here, making it 15-0 as Woodland Park just does not look ready for this football game. Just so many bad penalties. But 
still 1044 left here so here we go they tried to get something going and they do get something going uh, Marcus Schoenberg spreading the ball around finding a couple guys here Aiden Hood getting some good tough yards up the middle Trey Reed on some uh, sweeps getting some good yards here but like I said, Marcus Schoenberger really coming out and playing well on this drive here on fourth and five. He rolls right and almost goes out of bounds, but finds number 14. That's Caden Lewis on a clutch catch here that would give them a big first down on the 20, putting them in the red zone here. Fast forward to third and 10. Schoenberger uh, goes back to number 14. That's Caden Lewis who goes ahead and takes this one to the house, making it 15 to 7 with about 637 left here. A good drive here, a much needed drive by Woodland Park here to go ahead and get a touchdown. A nice long drive as well. Uh, no easy handouts on this one. And so here we go. Manitou takes over on the 30. And, you know, they struggle a little bit. A couple of drop passes really hurt them. And so it's fourth and seven. And they go for it here. They call a good play. It's the right play. Again, so throws it. It's on the money. But it is yet another dropped pass. I want to say that's the third drop pass on that drive alone. And that pass, I mean, the receiver is wide open. He would have gone the first down. But that drop pass would be crucial as that's a turnover on downs. Now, Woodland Park would try to make something happen with about four minutes left here. Um, but would not be able to do anything on fourth and two. They would go ahead and throw it, but it would be a dropped pass. A lot of drop passes of these last two drives for both teams. And so 154 left here. Manitou Springs with a chance to go ahead and put a cap on this run for Woodland Park here. Uh, at least on this momentum for Woodland Park. You know, it's only a one score game at this point, only down by eight. But. It would come down to a second down play where Gensel just rolls right. And he just throws. This isn't a good decision. He throws a jump ball here. And it is intercepted. Sorry, not on second down, but on third down. It is intercepted by number 18. That is Evan Bamesberger for Woodland Park, the senior who comes down with the interception here. So just not a great look here as Woodland Park does get a chance to go ahead and drive down the field. And they get to the 29, and that's where they decide to kick this field goal. About 39 yards here, I want to say. And it's number 8, Miles Wiley, who kicks it. But the kick is short, and so Manitou holds on to a 15-7 lead. At this point, it kind of feels like they should be up by more. That one drive where they had so many uh, drop passes really killed them. And then on the interception drive, I just kind of a forced play there by Nate Gensel, which isn't good. It also doesn't help that there's a drop pass literally the down before. So there you go. But still, throughout all of it, Manitou is up 15-7, to but Woodland Park only is behind by 8 points at this point, despite all the bad penalties. And Woodland Park also starts with the ball, so that helps them out here. Now, they are able to get a nice first down thanks to Trey Reed on the toss left. That would put them on the 50, but they would eventually stall out and punt it. Manning 2 takes over on the 33, and this is after yet another penalty on Woodland Park for unsportsmanlike contact. And a lot of interesting penalties here is all, all, all I'm going to say here, but... You know, there you go. 
uh, Manitou Springs trying to get something going here. Have a couple design quarterback runs uh, to Nate Genser, who gets some good yards, uh, which does include a first down that puts them to the 42. Uh, he would then find Preston Rhodes on a slant for a good gain on another first down. That would put them on the 28. But then the dive goes for one. Then they have an incomplete pass. And then it's third and nine. And then they throw it again. Uh, it's on the money. It's dropped again. So another dropped pass hurting Manitou Springs for a third straight offensive drive. So it's fourth and nine. And then on fourth and nine, they throw it. And it is incomplete once more. Just not on the same page here as this uh, passing game struggles for Manitou. Now they go for it on the 27. But like I said, it was incomplete. And so Manitou takes over there uh, on the on that 27. About 70-ish, 60-ish yards to go here on this drive with 748 left in the third quarter uh, play or the drive doesn't start great as there's a false start making it first and 15. But eventually that would be erased as a nice pass to Evan Bamesberger would make it second and one. Caden Lewis on the handoff would get the first down there. Uh, another pass would go for a first down here as they continue to drive. Uh, Aiden Hood is getting a lot of carries up the middle and he's just bullying for it, getting those extra yards. Um, but after a first down conversion, once more, they would get another false start, making it first and 15. That would kind of hurt them here as a couple plays later, it would only be third and 10 as they struggled to get yards. But uh, Marcus Schoenberger would go ahead and roll out right and find Caden Lewis, who would get a nice toe tap sideline catch. A lot of these sideline catches were happening for Woodland Park uh, in this game, especially in the second half here. And so that would be good to give them a first down on the eight. And then Aiden Hood would go ahead and get the ball three times. Uh, or sorry, two times until he would score, making it 15 to 13. At this point, Woodland Park would go for it, but the two-point conversion is no good. Still, though, only down two points here as Manitou Springs takes over near the end of the third quarter. But Manitou Springs, their offense continues to struggle. The only thing really working out for them is the run game to a degree here and it's Nate Gensel being their lead rusher it feels like at this point with Logan Moore out and so he does run for three on, uh, on first on second it's a dive to number nine that is late and little he gets stuffed so that goes for no gain and then they do throw a quick hitter to number five Preston Rhodes um, but he is stopped just a little bit short and so it's fourth and one here but they are you know uh, not in Woodland Park territory. They're in their own territory at this point. And so instead of going for it, they go ahead and punt it. And so Woodland Park gets the ball here with about a minute, three seconds left. And this is a pretty good punt here that would put them on the seven. And here is what happens. Uh, well, first, a bad snap would go ahead and put them on the seven. Uh, I want to say on the punt, they were on the 20 here, actually. And then the bad snap here would put them on the 7. And then right before the 4th quarter, Braden Dowling would get a big sack. And he almost, almost drives Marcus Schoenberger into the end zone for a safety here. But luckily for Woodland Park, the refs called him down right before he could put him into the end zone. And so that's where we're at. 4th quarter, 3rd and long. They're inside the 5, Woodland Park that is. Uh, a false start would now make it third and long. This time they're on the two here. And Woodland Park would call their first timeout, I want to say, of the second half. 
at the 12 minute mark. Well, they haven't even ran a play. So there you go there. Uh, they would pass it to number 27 here, trying to get some breathing room. That's Parker Shreve here. He would be stopped short by number 22 of Manitou Springs. A really good tackle, by the way. Uh, that's Kian Bunker, uh, Kyan Bunker, sorry, on the tackle there. And then it would be fourth down after that one. And they're trying to punt it. But a high snap would make this one a safety anyways. Uh, the snap goes out the back of the end zone. So it's 17-14 Manitou Springs. Manitou, after the punt, takes over on the 41-yard line here. A solid return for them. Now, for Manitou Springs at this point, they have a chance once more to put away Manitou Springs and go up by more than one score here. I mean, they're up 17 to, uh, sorry, not 17, uh, 14. It's 17, 13 at this point. I think I just, I just wrote it wrong here. Yeah. So it's 17, 13, uh, because that two point conversion wasn't good. And so, like I said, Manitou has a chance to put this one away. And so they run the ball, they throw the ball, but just really short and they get some good yardage here. They get all the way to the 18 here. Uh, Nate Gensel, like I said, being their main rusher here, calling a lot of QB run plays, which does include a play after that first down to put them on the 18 where Gensel scrambles left, and he just trucks a defender. But there is a penalty thrown on Manitou. I think that's for holding, so that makes it first and 20 here, which is kind of killing the vibes. They do throw a screen route that goes for a couple, making it second and 14. And then they call a read option, but it looks like Nate Gensel was just not sure on whether to pull it or hand it off. Either way, it gets smacked in the backfield. So now it's third and 15. On third and 15, Gensel goes ahead and finds Preston Rhodes on the core route. He goes ahead and gets the first down, putting them inside the 10. That was a much-needed throw there and catch to put them inside the 10. Let's go ahead and fast-forward a couple of plays, including a penalty for a head-to-head -head hit thrown on Woodland Park that would put them inside the five. And after that, Gensel would go ahead and punch it in, making it a 23-13 to lead. This Manitou crowd going crazy, by the way. And they are the away crowd, so that's the interesting part. But he punches it in, making it 23-13. to um, The PAT is blocked, but there is a penalty once again thrown on Woodland Park for roughing the kicker. A lot of undisciplined penalties by Woodland Park here. Uh, that would be enforced on the kickoff. And so just remember that score, 23 to 13, three minutes left in this game. Uh, Woodland Park would not get a return. It's a touchback. So they take over on the 20. And here is where the magic begins to happen. Woodland Park. Goes ahead and calls a pass play to Marcus Schoenberger. He's the quarterback, obviously. So he gets the ball here. He buys some time, rolls right, and just kind of throws it deep. And all the way downfield is number 27, Parker Shreve, who sneaks past the safety. And he catches the ball just behind the safety. The safety just not taking a good angle on this one and he goes ahead and he rips off a huge play almost scores here but his tackle just short uh that goes regardless for a 65 yard play right after that play they go back to parker shreve it looks like on either a slant or drag route and he walks it in for an easy touchdown the defense is not ready for that one as they go ahead and make it a 24 to 19 lead uh, they would go for two again but i mean it would not be good and so there you go 24 to 19 it's about 245 left in this game and here's what happens 
Woodland Park is lining up for the onside kick. Or maybe it doesn't look that way, but one has to think, okay, they have to get the onside kick here because at this point, they only have one timeout left. So <laughs> they, they have to kick the onside kick because they can't stop Manitou Springs and have enough time to drive down the field. And the coaches for Manitou Springs are like yelling, watch the onside kick, watch the onside kick. And so they do it. It's an onside kick, goes past the first line, kind of bounces here near the sideline. The second or third line is just kind of, it looks like they're waiting for the ball to bounce out of bounds because that would be a penalty. But instead of it bouncing again, it kind of just thuds right there near the sideline. And now it's rolling. And at this point, Woodland Park goes ahead and jumps on this one. And it is so far up the field that Woodland Park takes over on the 25 yard line this is past midfield so they are five yards out from the red zone just a fatal mistake by manitou springs i don't know why they didn't just jump on it to be safe here but just a fatal mistake here and so here we go 245 left in this game woodland park looking to win here and take the first lead of the game which would potentially also be the game winner if they score and so that's on the line here here's what happens the quarterback scrambles he finds Caden lewis uh over the middle here a little bit of a dangerous throw but lewis he brings it in he goes for 14 yards and a first down but a woodland park penalty unfortunately would make it first and 15 so here we go first and 15 uh schoenberger finds Bamesberger, who makes it second and nine a nice six yard gain then schoenberger goes back to bamesberger i want to say number 18 yes that is number 18 and so that goes for another solid game here uh that would give them another first out here and so here we go at this point it is first and goal about a minute uh 40 left here and here's what happens schoenberger rolls out and he throws it but it is tipped, and so incomplete, 1 minute 32. Then they go ahead and hand it off left to Parker Shreve, who goes for 9 yards, almost scoring here, but it is 3rd and 1. And sorry, it's not 1st and goal yet. They're just outside the 10, sorry. So I should say that. So 3rd and 1 here after that handoff to Parker Shreve left. And on 3rd and 1, Schoenberger, it looks like he's looking to pass. He's rolling out right before he just decides to scramble, and he almost scores here, but Braden Dowling from the other side of the field tracks him down and stops and uh short here as the clock runs there's 32 seconds left uh first and goal on the five they go ahead and run it here it is stuffed by number 51 of a man in two springs uh that is asher loving the same one who got that big touchdown by the way and so second and five here but man in two springs takes their last time out with 28 seconds left not quite feeling uh the situation here which is a good timeout and so clock is stopped here at 28 seconds left and here is what happens number 10 schoenberger he gets the ball and he rolls right and he throws it to a wide open receiver but it is too low of a pass so it's dropped manitou springs kind of getting away with one right there and so here we go third down schoenberger looking to pass he throws it aiming for the back of the end zone but it's just a little bit too high here and so it is incomplete and so now it is fourth down with about 14 seconds left. And here is what happens. It is all on the line. Schoenberger drops back. 
throws it after his three-step drop. It is a fade route, a back shoulder throw to number 18, Evan Bamesberger, who goes ahead and makes a great adjustment, gets two feet in bounds in the end zone here, catches it, and it's good coverage, by the way. He is driven back, but they rule it a touchdown, and so just like that, Woodland Park takes a 25-24 to lead. Would go for two here, but it would be no good. At this point, there's 10 seconds left. It's a touchback here, and Manitou Springs looking to have a miracle happen. They would take a shot deep, but it would be incomplete. At that point, there would only be two seconds left. And on second down here, Nate Gensel tries to throw it short here, looking to set something up. But it looks like him and his, and his receiver is just not on the same page. And so that is incomplete as Woodland Park wins 25-24 to in an absolute thriller. A game that might just save their season. Alright, now let me go ahead and talk about thoughts here. Uh, first things first, let's talk about Manitou Springs. <laughs> I apologize. I couldn't quite remember when Logan Moore went out, but he did go out in that first quarter, and that would affect the productivity of this Manitou Springs offense. He also plays both ways, so defense as well. But the defense was playing really well, though. And, I mean, you got to think, I mean, they just had so many chances to stack on this lead, but they could not quite extend it to two scores. When you are in a rivalry game, especially away, you want to take the home crowd out, out of it. You just want to, right? But if you continue to let a team like Woodland Park, a rival, hang in there, it, I mean, it made me nervous, and I, I was talking to some of the boys, you know, some of my guys here on the podcast during this game, and I was like, hey, Manitou Springs, they had their chances, but just so many drops, and it's not like, oh, it's a deep throw, and he dropped it. No, it was like really short throws that they were dropping, and that killed Manitou Springs at the end because obviously you don't have Logan Moore to, you know, kind of carry the load there, and so you're relying on your passing game, and it's not bad passes, it's not bad play calls at all, but the receivers just really struggled in this one to help put Woodland Park away. And then, obviously, in the fourth quarter, uh, I mean, defense, they were just caught off guard. Uh, just a tough play there after having a really good game. A tough two plays, really, on that drive uh, when they went up 24, sorry, 24 to 13 at that point. Just a tough go there. And... I, I mean, you, you can't really blame the defense there. They got put in a tough spot there. So there you go. And then on the onside kick, you got to jump on it. It doesn't matter if you think it's going to go out of bounds. You need to play it safe. And they didn't. If they got the ball there, they would have been able to run down the clock, at least take off a minute, and then, you know, uh, get some good field positioning there. But they just couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it there because, you know, they recovered the onside kick. Woodland Park did. And so if you're Manitou Springs, it came down to a handful of plays at the end. But on offense, I mean, they I mean, they just struggled. They struggled. And we'll see how they do without Logan Moore, if that's something that continues to persist, his injury there. But, but we'll just have to see. But regardless, this is a very devastating loss here for Manitou Springs. Um, this is one you wanted to win, right? It would have put them in a really good spot for playoffs. Now they really have to win against Florence, Alamosa, Lamar, and then at least play La Hunta close to make it as this one, this playoff race is going to be really close because it was either Woodland Park or Manitou Springs to make the playoffs last year. And it looks like it's going to come down to it again. And unfortunately they just miss on a big opportunity. 
So there you go. Now, Woodland Park, uh, gotta say this, very undisciplined game, very undisciplined game, so many penalties, it was a miracle that they won this game with how many personal fouls there were, not even holding plays or stuff like, you know, stuff that happens usually in football, right, but just so many personal fouls, a lot of false starts too, like, they were, there were at least four in the first quarter alone, which is absolutely insane considering they had the ball two drives, so there's that. And for Woodland Park to get through that, get out of their own heads, play a clean, relatively clean second half here is huge. And, you know, huge shout out to Marcus Schoenberger. He did a good job at quarterback in this second half here. He really did a good job. I mean, clutch throws um, in those last three minutes. You know, got to give him a lot of credit there. Clutch reads as well. That last throw on that fade route was just a perfect throw. On a play like that, on a fade route, it's just a plain and simple thing. Hey, you got to trust me. I got to trust you. It's fourth down. Let's do this thing. He trusted his receiver, and he came through. And so, a, a huge shout-out to Schoenberger. Also, shout-out to this receiving core for Woodland Park. Caden Lewis, Bamesberger, uh, Parker Shreve all made huge plays down the line as this running game kind of struggled here. I mean, Trey Reed got some good yardage. Aiden Hood was basically force-fed the ball, and he got some good yardage, you know, just really maintaining that toughness and keeping Manitou Springs honest there. But it was really this passing game for Woodland Park that would be the heroes of this game. And I can't even really say that the defense played super well because I, I, I'm i just going to be honest, Manitou Springs just made too many mistakes on offense to, to really give the defense that kind of credit. And that's not like a shot or anything. But Manitou Springs really shot themselves in the foot uh, in the second half, just making bad mistakes. Not penalties, but just bad decisions here. So there you go there. So huge shout out to Woodland Park. I mean, this was an excellent game. Came down to the wire. The environment was electric there. And, you know, they won. They they won the game. And this is a game that could really be a game changer for them. I mean, now that's their second win in a row against a quality opponent here. They play La Hunta next. <laughs> I don't think they're going to beat them. Probably not. But then they play Sand Creek, Lamar, Alamosa. They should beat those last three teams based on what I saw uh, the other night here. If they could stay close with La Hunta, I do think they will make the playoffs as a lower seed. And unfortunately, it would probably be at the cost of Manitou Springs there. So... There you go. But a great game. A, a, I'm not going to lie. A pretty sloppy game altogether. But at the end of the day, I mean, your mistakes are there. You made them. You always got to find a way to get it done no matter what. Focus on the next play. And for Woodland Park, that's what they did. Remember this. They were down 24-13 to 13 with three minutes left. And they won this game 25-24. to 24. Absolutely insane. And definitely a game of the year candidate here. For sure. So there you go there. Final score, Woodland Park 25, Manitou Springs 24. Thank you, Coach V, for taking us through that Woodland Park Manitou Springs game. And funny that you mentioned that that's a game of the year candidate because this next one is not. This next one is not a game of the year candidate. And I am sorry if you just fell for that. But anyways, let's go ahead and jump into this game here that actually had a really dynamic start here as Denver West starts on their own 20-yard line and pick up a gain of six, but then a false start 
makes it second and nine. They have a quick pass that makes third and manageable. And then they hand off to number 17, Tyzel Osler here, who zips in and out of tackles or potential tackles, I should say, cuts and jukes ahead for a first down to the 31. Then number seven, freshman quarterback Marcelo Ortiz uncorks a deep one down the right sideline to number 11, Robert Whitkey here, who reels it in and finishes the job for a 69-yard touchdown reception, putting the Cowboys up early 7 to nothing. The Sun Devils here get the ball, and they start off with a nice swing pass here who accelerates for a first down and puts the Sun Devils on the 45-yard line going in. A handoff only picks up about two yards here. Well, actually, no, no, no. The handoff picks up 15. It is to number two, Walker, who gets all the way to the 30-yard line and has a ton of yards here on this drive so far. That number two being Wyatt Walker. Now, back to the game notes here. They do have an incomplete pass forced by the defense before number seven runs to the 25-yard line. That is Yanni Balafas, I want to say is how you say that, sophomore quarterback here. And that sets up a third and manageable. Now, number one makes the tackle here for the Cowboys, Ahmad Hussein, but not before the Sun Devils pick up a first down on the 15. And after a quick pass to 11, gets them to the six-yard line, Denver West takes a time out here with second and one and their backs against the wall with eight minutes and 16 seconds left in the first. But a handoff to Walker here breaks a couple of tackles and powers in, but a PAT is no good, so Denver West still leads 7-2-6. Denver West coming out here trying to establish the run again, but the Sun Devils adapt. Number 67, Alexander Kim, the senior, swallows up the run for only a gain of a yard. On the next play, second and nine, the quarterback, Marcelo Ortiz, does not like what he sees and runs for about a gain of five. They then run a power left, but the running back cuts away from the lead blocker and number eight of Kent Denver, Luke Harrington, makes him pay and stops him short, forcing a punt. After a nice punt return, the Sun Devils are on the 19-yard line going in. And I did note here that Denver West's special teams is lacking and could cause issues either later in this game or overall for this season here. And after number 52 of the Cowboys reads the cutback and limits the gain to just three, number 52 being Alexander Ramon, they then take a timeout, the Sun Devils that is, with five minutes and 46 seconds left in the first. They throw left, and that is going to be intercepted by Ahmad Hussein here, who returns it back for a decent gain, but a blindside block will force them back to the 13-yard line. They call a screen left that only picks up a yard, and the defense has a ton of coverage, and the quarterback falls ahead for a gain of one as they start to get some pressure. And on third and eight, they hand off to number 17 here, who goes up the middle and keeps his feet moving for a first down to the 23. After seemingly being taken down for a loss, Asler here, Osler, makes some more magic happen and slips out of two tackles and has running room all the way for a first down to the 37-yard line. They take a deep shot left that is almost picked off, and then number 75 for Kent Denver, Trip Skewers, gets a big-time sack, forcing 
the Cowboys into a third and 22. And there's a deep throw left that is intercepted by number five, Henry Guttrich, and that is returned to the 21-yard line. Now, almost in the red zone, they call a quarterback keeper. He goes right, but then he cuts back left across the green and rambles on into the end zone. And after the PAT goes through, it's 13-7 to with a minute and a half left in the first. Now, on the return, the Cowboys do get to the 21-yard line before 82 gets crunched. And after the play, he gets up and charges a Sun Devil, and a small scuffle ensues. The refs get together. They talk about what happened and eject number four and number 82, number four of Kent Denver and number 82 of Denver West, who are disqualified. Following that, they have a couple of handoffs and incomplete passes that end the first quarter. Now, Kent will start the second quarter from their own 40-yard line. They will start off with a mid-screen to number three who picks up a first down. That is Nicholas Buccanow or Buchano. Sorry if I'm messing that up, Nicholas, but you are brought down by two defenders, but not before picking up 10 yards and a first down to the 30-yard line. 87 and 70 of Denver West get their hands on the ball carrier here. That is Aries Uong and number 70. I don't have numbers listed here for him, um, but that is going to be from the roster at least. The junior Jerry Jones, who had himself a pretty solid game on the offensive side of the ball, paving open lanes and looking like one of the strongest linemen that the Cowboys had. But all of that aside here, they get a decent play here. And following an incomplete pass and a short run, the Sun Devils are facing fourth and three. Their quarterback keeps going left until he picks up a first down all the way to the 15-yard line. After a handoff to number two, who follows solid blocking all the way inside the five-yard line, he shrugs off an arm tackle and dives for the pylon, scoring the touchdown and putting the Sun Devils up with eight minutes and 21 seconds left in the first half. D. West starts further ahead after an unsportsmanlike conduct on Kent Denver to the 37-yard line and call a jet sweep that picks up three. Another run left is stopped short, and on third and six, the quarterback throws left to the top shelf, and that pass is going to be brought in by Chris Munoz here for a gain of five. On fourth and one, West keeps, and the quarterback runs on a silent count, but number 21 of Kent Denver... Gets behind the line, Henry Penny, he finds a gap, he finds an opportunity, and he finds a tackle for loss to force a turnover on downs, a TFL for a TOD. And so Kent is in West territory to start, and they do, Denver West, that is, does take a timeout here, trying to get settled down here and make this half possible to leave, you know, in one piece. There's an incomplete pass to start this drive, but a roughing the passer still nets a positive game to the 26. And after a pump fake, the quarterback uncorks a lob to number 11, who is by himself in the end zone for the score. That is Alex Padalino bringing in that touchdown here and putting the Devils up 27-7 with under six minutes to go in the half. I note here that West needs a score here to slow down the bleeding of this 21 unanswered point onslaught and they do that by coming out with a short pass, but that is immediately followed up by a fumbled 
jet sweep for a loss that they recover that loses even more yards. And they use their last timeout of the half with just under four minutes because they came out in the wrong formation. But number 67 of Kent Denver sacks the quarterback and kills another drive and they'll have to punt. Now Kent starts off with a slant right to five, but then they throw and the throw is late on the next play. And that is going to be incomplete. Quarterback pumps and tucks for seven, but a holding penalty will negate the gain and put them back to the 46-yard line. After an incomplete pass and a swing right that gets absolutely rocked and rolled out of bounds, here the ball is, that will set up a for-sure punt. Now 17 on the return for Denver West gets to the 40-yard line with just under two minutes in the half, and they start off with a run that stops short and an incomplete pass. Quarterback on third down avoids one sack, but foolishly is flushed to the sideline and sacked by three while stopping the clock with 58 seconds to go. But it doesn't matter because Kent Denver will return the punt. Number 11, Alex Padalino down the left sideline. And after the PAT, the Sun Devils will lead 34-7 to with a hair over 40 seconds left in the half. Now... There is a ton of penalties that make this half take forever to end, but nothing ultimately ends up happening, and the Sun Devils will start on their own 38-yard line. There's a handoff to number two that picks up about six yards, and then another handoff right for a good gain, but a holding penalty on Ken Denver pushes it back. The quarterback then tucks after his first read is covered, but is wrapped up quickly by 52 of West. Now, uh, after another run that sets up third and five, West tackles the quarterback who breaks the pocket, but seven extends the ball here and fights for a first down. Keeping the drive alive for the Sun Devils here, they go ahead and pass left to Padalino again for a gain of eight, and then they pass again to Padalino who reels in the 25-yard touchdown pass, making it 41-7. to with 7 minutes and 47 seconds in the third, taking almost just about four and a half minutes on this opening drive here. And I stuck around and gave West one more chance to show me something. But after a three and out, and West taking a timeout before that third down and an incomplete pass that led to a punt, I went ahead and called it. Kent Denver would go on to win this game 54-7 to here. That puts Kent Denver at an unblemished record of five and oh and it drops denver west to three and two once again in that same league as elizabeth inglewood so i saw four out of like the six teams in that league this weekend in my two-way coverage but now i'm gonna pass it off to Gid the kid here who's gonna recap the rest of two-way for us as well as just giving an overview of those scores and some highlights of stats and whatnot from other action in the state Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner podcast, uh, at least the 2A recap edition. My name's Gideon, and today we're going to be going over the games that happen in the 2A classification during week six, that Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So we're going to jump right into this with our Thursday games. So one of these games... uh, we saw in person that was elizabeth versus anglewood cody probably already gave the full recap on that depending on when you're listening to this so 
we are going to start with Prospect Ridge Academy and Bennett. Bennett would pull out this one 68 to 35 over the minors. And I'm going to go over Bennett's stats first here. We see Brody Hawes. 5 for 10 passing for 107 yards, <laughs> uh, two touchdowns there. Uh, rushing, we see Tristan Kronk, 20 carries for 177 yards and four touchdowns. Aaron Diggs, 87 yards and a score. Austin Steers, 80 and a score. Cougar Kronk, uh, 68 yards and a touchdown. Hawes for 40 yards and then Xander Driggs with 23 then looking at the receiving statistics, Forrest Smith, 52 receiving yards on one catch for a touchdown. Austin Steers, two receptions for 48 yards and a score. And then uh, Tristan Gronk, two receptions for seven yards. In terms of the defensive statistics, Brody Hawes, nine tackles. Steers, Kronk, and Driggs, each with five. Tommy Kearns with four. Driggs, Corey Foster, Ethan Jordan, and Xander P Peter with three tackles each. Otherwise, we see Hawes also had four pass deflections. Uh, Aaron Driggs had a forced fumble that was presumably recovered by Peter. Uh, Steers also had a pass deflection along with Cougar Kronk. Uh, and that's really all except for the kickoff returns. We see that Steers had a return for 22 yards, and then Tristan Kronk had two returns for 35 yards. And... Steers had four conversion points, while Cougar, Owen, they each had two, and then Tristan Kronk had six. So, all around, pretty solid game for Bennett. Now, on to Prospect Ridge, where we see that Chase Knopf, 21 for 39 passing for 274 yards and four touchdowns, which is absolutely insane. 112 rushing yards as well for a score. Uh, nobody else had over 10 rushing yards. Receiving-wise, though, the uh, tight end, I believe, Travis Agboss, he had 12 receptions for 171 yards and four touchdowns, the longest of which was only 35. Then we also see Zachary Dika. He had 42 receiving yards, and then Brady McKenney, he had 47. Next up on defense, we see that it was Brady McKenney leading the way with 17 tackles. Dika had 14. Arnav here he had 13. Agboss had 9, along with Michonne Puga. Uh, we see that a freshman, Daniel Cole, had 7. Both Joshua Boyer and Kay Schaefer each had 5. And then also Agboss did have a sack. So all around very good game here from Prospect Ridge. Uh, most of the time you see stats like this, uh, you see a win. Uh, but then we also see Agboss had a fumble recovery, as did McKenney and Landon McBean. And then Sudhir, he had two pass deflections. In terms of, uh, I'm not going to look at special teams because that's not very nice. But then uh, Sudhir, he had three kickoff returns for 47 yards. Agboss had one for 26 yards, and McKenney had one for 10 yards. Uh, Elliot Hoyland, the freshman, one for two on PATs, and that's really it, uh, aside from conversions, which uh, Agboss and McKenney both had one. So, really solid game here, both sides of this matchup. 
Next up, we have Bayfield losing 7-42 to the Bloomfield Bobcats out of New Mexico. Cody Ross, 12 for 27 for 161 yards. One touchdown to two interceptions, though. That's not great. Rushing uh, Candelaria, he had 30 rushing yards. Williams had 19. Cody Ross had 12. Uh, Receiving, we see the lead receiver was Williams with 74 yards. And then Pickering had 62 yards. And Tyler Harriman had 20. In terms of the defensive statistics for the Bay. For Bayfield, uh, Candelaria, he had 11 tackles, one and a half for loss. Pickering and Kalen Ramos each had eight. Harriman had six. And then uh, Archuleta and Austin Wilmer each had five. Memphis Miller, which is a really cool name, by the way, he had a sack. Pickering, Austin Wilmer, and Candelaria each had half a sack. And then Candelaria and Archuleta each had a pass deflection in the loss. Next up, we have the Classical Academy taking down Alameda very convincingly. Uh, we see a very, very big score gap, 55-6 to in this one. Passing for the Titans, Andrew Brown, 5-6 for six for 75 yards and two touchdowns. And then Jackson Smetana, 4-6 for six for 48 yards and a score. Rushing-wise, we see the leader of the pack was Jay Schiffer, uh, 67 yards for two touchdowns. Elias Wall, 57 yards. Uh, Sincere Edwards, 33 yards for and a touchdown. Grant Keaton, 16 yards and a touchdown as well. And then Khalil Blush and Will Schiffer also over 10 yards there, 12 and 11, respectively. Receiving, we see Tyler Stone, 57 yards for a touchdown. Jaron Texer, 51 for a score. And then Khalil Blush, 7 yards and a score. J.D. Packard, 8 yards receiving. Next up, we see Michael Wu, 6 tackles. Zach Hale with 5. A bunch of guys here with 4, including Judah Baruti, Cameron Steele, Ethan Schilling, Grant Keaton, and Luke Megahan. And then we also see... Gustafson, Sincere Edwards, and Andrew Borchert with three tackles. Uh, Michael Wu also had a sack. Hale had two and a hurry. G- Jesse Brown had a sack as well. And then Cameron Steele and Megahan each had a hurry. In terms of interceptions, Campbell, Campbell Gaw had an interception for two yards. Sh- Schiffer had two pass deflections. Elijah Wright, Henry Hoyman, and Matthew Wright each had a pass deflection, and then Zach Hale had a forced fumble. In terms of kickoffs, we see uh, Kai Veronin, a sophomore, seven kickoffs for 294 yards, 42 yards on average with three touchbacks. Nathaniel Thorne, 75 yards with an average of 37 and a half uh, and a touchback. So it's looking like he had one good kickoff and one not so good kickoff. Uh, Texer, he had two punt returns for 60 yards, and then uh, Will Schiffer had a kickoff return for eight yards. We see Thorne went seven for eight on PATs, which is pretty solid. Texer, he returned that punt I was talking about earlier for a touchdown. No conversions there, and Alameda has not uploaded stats. Four, Rifle versus Moffat County, which is next. The Bears would end up coming on top in this one. 42 to 20. And they have uploaded stats where we see that Logan Gross, he went 16 for 26 for 144 yards and three touchdowns. 
Uh, Gross also had 97 rush yards and two scores. Isaac Valencia, 73 rush yards and a touchdown. Ryland Lane with 29 yards. And then Joel Valencia with 12. Receiving, we see the main guy was Sterling Cook with 58 yards. Valencia, he had 34. And then Tristan Sheets, he had 31 receiving yards for two touchdowns. And then Omar Silva, one reception for nine yards and a score. We also see here, though, tackles-wise, Kevin Arviso, eight tackles, Lane with seven. Uh, Jesus Martinez, Washington, and Grosich had six. And Omar Silva had four. Uh, Lane and Washington each did have a hurry, and then four different players notched an interception in this one. Uh, We see Silva, Sterling Cook, and Ryland Lane each had an interception. Lane for 18 yards, and then Logan Gross also had one for 94 yards there. Uh, Alex Orozco and Silva each did have a pass deflection as well. Jesus Martinez, seven kickoffs for 267 yards, 38.1 yard average. And yeah, long and sh- the long and short of it is that Sterling Cook, he also had six six for six on PATs. Dominating performance here by Rifle. Next up, we have Berthed defeating Fort Lupton 48 to 17. Fort Lupton going to start there. Royce Guerrero, nine for 17 for 155 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Josiah Gonzalez, one for two, 11 yards passing and a pick there as well. Rushing, we see we see Guerrero and Caden Taylor each had 53 yards. Uh, Galicia he had 34 yards. Jesse Soretto had a had a singular carry for three yards and a touchdown. And then Gonzalez had one rush yard. Uh, receiving, we see Anthony Bland Mendenhall 92 receiving yards on two catches. Uh, we see Josiah Gonzalez again four receptions for 53 yards, and Soretto. Uh, Two catches for 18 yards. Next, we see on defense, uh, Galicia, 10 tackles. Jesse Soretto and Taylor each had each had eight. Uh, Camden Galicia had seven. Then Dylan Alvarado, Abraham Lujan each had five. And then Lane Brock and Robert Ortiz each had three tackles. Uh, Soretto had a sack. And then Lujan and D. Bushman each had a hurry. Frankie Flores caught an interception, and Soretto did block a field goal in this one, which is kind of surprising. You expect more from that Bertha to line to make sure that Ben Schroeder is uh, is protected there. Frankie Flores, four kickoffs, one touchback, and then three punts for 115 yards. Uh, on returns, Javier Ortiz, 16 return yards on a kickoff. And all around, Frankie Flores, he went two for two on PATs and one for one on field goals. This one for 40 yards, which is pretty dang solid. So back up to the Berthed side of things, we see that uh, Darren Davidson, four for five for 56 yards and two touchdowns, one interception there. Uh, not not by him, not by him. This one was by Stryker, who went 0 for one passing. Uh, rushing, we also see Alex Larson, 168 yards for three touchdowns. Cole Bialek, 59 yards. Joey Finnegan, 29 yards. Uh, B. Kasperbauer, 27 yards. Ben Larson, 22 yards. And Davidson, 21 yards and a touchdown. And then uh, Hoff, E. Hoffmeister as well, 10 yards and a score. Receiving, we see W. Pachowski, 25 yards and a touchdown. 
uh, Michaelis, uh, 18 receiving yards and a score. And then on defense, ooh, this is a big one for them. Aiden McGrath, 10 tackles. And then we have four guys with seven tackles. Joey Finnegan, Araya Chacon, Cole Bialek, and Sam Smith each had seven tackles. E. Hoffmeister, Elijah Mosher, and Joe Pula-Smith each had six. Daniel Mahoney, Brody Hall, and Donovan Mann each had four. And then uh, G. Pulowski, Tanner Davis, Israel Brown, and Jace Newbill each had three tackles. A bunch of sacks in this one. Uh, Finnegan had one and a half sacks. Cole Bialek, E. Hoffmeister, and Blake Cobble each had a sack. And then Caleb Cooper and Peyton Evans each had half a sack as well. Two interceptions in this one, Israel Brown and Jay Michaelis. Uh, each of those guys also had a pass deflection in this one. We see Elisha Mosher had two pass deflections, and then Mahoney, uh, David Pelfrey, Newbill Cooper each had a pass deflection. And then uh, Peyton Evans had a blocked punt. Uh, Sam Smith had a forced fumble, which was recovered by McGrath for 15 yards as well. Uh, ben Schroeder. Seven kickoffs for 395 yards, about 56 yards on average. Five touchbacks in those uh, in those seven. Darren Davidson, two punts for 80 yards, so you can do the math on that one. Uh, Jace Newbill, one kickoff return for 28 yards, two punt returns for 52 yards. And Schroeder, four for six on PATs, which is kind of odd. Uh, and Davidson with a rushing conversion. So, solid game there for Berthoud over Fort Lupton. Next, we have University taking down the Timnath Cubs, 35-7. to uh, University has input all their stats, while Timnath only has defense. So, I'm going to go through University first. Cole Croissant, 11 for 17 for 112 yards. He also rushed for 41 yards. But Brevin Doss, he was the main guy. Nine carries for 146 yards and a score. Jacob Cruz, 51 yards and a touchdown as well. Uh, croissant 41 rush yards and then Johnny Weir 21 yards and a touchdown receiving we see Dylan Sup 21 receiving yards and a touchdown Jacob Cruz 17 yards and a score Brevin Doss 39 yards and Will Corby had 35 on defense we're going to take a look at university where we see that the top guy only had four tackles G to Santiago uh, Caleb Bronner Jade Schminke and uh Medardo Abrego each had three. Uh, Sack-wise, Johnny Wirick had a sack for seven yards, and then Schminke had two hurries. Caleb Tejada had an interception and two pass deflections, and then Wirick had a forced fumble. Uh, Cody Steen, he had a kickoff for 60 yards, and Avery Sir, five kickoffs for 205 yards. And then uh, Dylan Sup, uh, four punts for 81 yards. All around pretty solid here. Sir also went 5-for-5 five five on PATs, but really solid job here by University. But Timnath has some insane defensive numbers when we're looking at it. Going to start off with the more mundane stuff. Uh, Tanner Mock, two pass deflections. Ivan Hochalter, the freshman, with one. And then Dominic Uron had a forced fumble. Here's where it gets crazy. Vince Hochalter had 25 total tackles, 16 solo in this game. Ivan Hochalter had... 20 tackles. The Hochalter brothers are insane. Tanner Mock, 7, along with Dominic Giron and Kate Geist, each having 7 as well. 
Jack Nextjet and Evan Vasa each had six tackles. Joaquin Bueno and Max Kolchak each had five, and then Alexander Wood had three. So I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep the Hoke Alter brothers in mind for potential playmaker of the week. Probably not since they lost, but still impressive. Next up, we have Basalt taking down Grand Valley 48-0. The Longhorns coming on top in this one. Uh, for th- but Grand Valley is the only team that has input stats here. So we see Jason Skeen, 4 for 9 passing for 17 yards, uh, 2 interceptions. Uh, Mason Schopner, uh, 10 carries for 70 yards. Jackson Rugard, uh, 1 carry for 22 yards. And then Skeen, 1 carry for 10 yards. Receiving, we see Schopner and Rugard were also the only receivers, uh, 8 yards apiece. Uh, Tackle-wise, we see Gabriel Mendoza and Schopner each had six. Ruggard and Terrazas, along with Sion Clegg, each had five. Skeen and uh, Jay Mendizable each each had four, along with Camden Neal and Braden Allen. And then X Gutierrez and Thomas Searcy each had three. Braden Allen had two pass deflections, while uh, Arnold Teeter had one, and Sion Clegg had a forced fumble. Isaiah Ramirez had a kickoff for 40 yards, and then Braden Allen had two punts for 90 yards in total there. Uh, Schopner, he did have three kickoff returns for 75 yards, and Ramirez had one for five yards. Uh, Next up, we see Montezuma Cortez, the Panthers upsetting the Salida Spartans 42-13. Um, only two stats here. Uh, Marley Lynch had a an interception and a forced fumble for Montezuma Cortez, and then he also had he also returned that interception for a touchdown. So very very helpful. Montezuma Cortez only entering stats for one player. Uh, in any case, though, next up we have the Eaton Reds defeating the Steamboat Springs Sailors 50 to seven. Eaton has input stats here. Connor Davy, the junior, 15 for 22 passing for 150 yards, three touchdowns and one interception. Uh, D'Angelo Rosas, uh, 93 yards. Connor Davy, 74 rushing yards. That is uh, Liam Wallen, 55 yards and two touchdowns. Benson Hood, 42 yards. Jackson Savannah, the freshman, 70. Seven carries for 31 yards, and Cade Rohrbeck, two carries for one yard and a touchdown. Receiving-wise, we see Cade Gentry, 30 receiving yards and a score. Alex Lloyd, 27 yards. Preston Smith, 22. Benson Hood, 19. Gunnar Duncan, 11 yards and a touchdown. And then Joey Blaskowski, two yards receiving and a score. Next, we see defensively Cooper Nider, 11 tackles, Zach Mask, 9, Jacob Benavides, 7, and then we see a bunch of guys here with 4, Benson Hood, Preston Smith, and DJ Gayona. Uh, We see also Cade Gentry and C. Fritzler with 3 tackles apiece. Sack-wise, Nider, 1 sack for 4 yards, and then Benavides and Zach Mask each had a hurry. Cade Gentry had two interceptions for 36 yards. Cole Foster had a fumble recovery, which was forced by Jack Dirksen, and Aiden Adams had a pass deflection. Gunnar Duncan had six kickoffs for a little over 290 yards, and then Ryan Martinez, two kickoffs for 86 yards. Punt-wise, Duncan, two punts for 67 yards as well. Uh, Gentry, two punt returns for 34 yards, and Hood also with one return for 30 
uh, Ryan Martinez, he went two for three on field goal attempts. Duncan 0 for 1 on PATs. Uh, Gentry did have a had a did have a touchdown on one of those interceptions I was talking about earlier. Duncan with two re- receiving conversions and Wallen with one conversion rush. Next, we find Cole Ridge losing to Aspen 7-38. Cole Ridge has input stats only defensively, though. Uh, Grayson Eisenhart continues his streak of dominance despite being 5-7 with 20 total tackles in this one. Uh, A. Hernandez with 8. You see J.L. Houston and Carter Kuhn each with 6. Kai Osterley and Seth Markiki with 4. And then Cameron Benke with 3. We see also George Roberts with an interception and Eason Hart with a forced fumble. And Aspen does not have stats. Next up, we have Valley versus Wellington. Wellington winning this one 42-20. But all 20 of, of Valley's points in this one came in the fourth quarter. So it's safe to say JV was in at that point. Tanner Gray with the best passing game of his career. Five completions on 10 attempts for 101 yards and a touchdown. Rushing-wise, Cash Alschfager no longer on the pitch clock, 155 rushing yards and two scores. Caden Keller, 68 yards and a touchdown. Zeke Sherl, 58 yards and a score. Tanner Gray, 39 yards and a touchdown. Alexis Mendez as well, 13 yards, and then Lincoln Dalton with 10. Receiving, we see Alschfager with 50 receiving yards and that touchdown. Uh, Kaysen Brown, 39 yards on one catch, and then Lincoln Dalton with a catch for 12 yards as well. Uh, Tyler Schaefer, he had 11 tackles in this one. Tegan Grayman, he had nine. Ian Allison, he had seven, along with Azuya Gracie. Tanner Gray had six, as as did Cash. Uh, Tanner McLean, Ethan Thumes, John Borchart, and Julius Olivo each had four and then Lincoln Dalton, Trey Trujillo, Kaysen Brown, Sile Kistner, and Braxton Gardner each had three. A bunch of guys had hurries in this one. Olivo and McLean each had three. Gray had two. Thumes and Grayman, the freshman pair, each had one. Ian Allison had a pass deflection. Uh, Seth Long went one for two on PATs, and then Austin DeGroote came in four for four on PATs, and then Keller also with a conversion rush. So really, really solid game by Wellington to stay on their winning ways. If I remember right, they are 6-0, and oh, 5-0 and now, undefeated. The only real test left in front of them is Platte Valley. Uh, next up, we have Arvada falling to brush 13-41. to uh, No stats for this one yet, but it sounds like... Uh, it sounds like it was pretty one-sided, uh, kind of disappointing from the Bulldogs, but when you're that type of team, that that's going to happen every once in a while. Next up, we have the Forge Christian Fury downing the Academy Wildcats 56-21 to in this one. Uh, going to start with the Academy here. Jace Farmer, 283 passing yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Uh, damn. <laughs> Damn. Uh, rushing for the Academy. You see Sean Smith, 36 yards uh, from from him. Jace Farmer, 27 yards. Tony Fa- Fabian, 25 yards. And then Ben Marriott with 13 rushing yards. 
receiving Merliot, 45 receiving yards. Sean Smith, 128 yards and two touchdowns. Heath Allen, 53 yards. Aiden Smith with 48, and then Merliot. Oh, yeah, with with 48 there. Uh, Sean Smith coming back in clutch here. Looking like he had 107 kick return yards as well. No defensive stats, but Aiden Austin, three kickoffs for 108 yards. Uh, in terms of returns, yeah, from Sean Smith, two kickoff returns for 107 yards, a long of 95 here. Sean Smith, three touchdowns and a conversion. Uh, so 20 points there. Whew. Yeah, he had a kickoff return touchdown, so that is wild. Next up, though, we have Forge Christian's side of things. Trayson I, uh, 72 pass yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Uh, on rushing, though, we see Yuli Tafoya, 268 yards and four touchdowns. Dante Hill, nine carries for 120 yards and a score. Trayson I, 43 rushing yards as well. Sullivan Strange had 26 receiving yards, and then Joey Shelton had 17 yards on one catch for a touchdown. Uh, we also see uh, Dante V. Hill had 10 tackles. Strange had 7. Will Reed, Ethan Maxwell, and Brendan Hardy each had 5. Carson Craig had 4, and Caleb Bob had 3. Uh, Jamie Elliott had a sack, and then Bob had an interception. Brendan Hardy, Jamie Elliott each had a forced fumble, one of which was recovered by Caleb Newhall. Uh, Dante V. Hill, he had one kickoff return for 90 yards, which is kind of crazy. Noah Arder, 6 for 6 on PATs, 3 for 3 on field goal attempts for 15 total points there. Uh, v. Hill, he had that kickoff return touchdown. But yeah, the, this was just an insane offensive game for both sides. Next up, though... We do have Sterling taking down Weld Central 48-22. to Weld Central only has uh, two stats in. That is uh, that Bryken Stalkup, a freshman, had a forced fumble. <laughs> uh, that's all there. Next up, we have Alamosa losing to La Junta 18-35. La Junta has input stats here. Ryland Schmidt. I don't know what happened to Luke Garner. Man's disappeared, but... Uh, Ryland Schmidt, 1 for 6 for 22 yards. Then we see Schmidt also 187 rush yards for two touchdowns. Ethan Leba, 120 for three touchdowns. And then Dylan Ruiz, 42 rush yards. Receiving, Leba had 22 receiving yards. And that's it for that. Uh, AJ Martinez had eight tackles. Schmidt and Fisher each had five. And then Leba and Trevor Johnston, along with Ruiz, each had three. Ruiz and Keo Fisher had sacks. Uh, Ruiz had one. Fisher had two. Johnston had two kickoffs for 120 yards. And Julio Vasquez had five kickoffs for 209 yards. Two touchbacks there. Um, that's long and short of it. Johnston went five for five on PATs. Solid game here from La Junta. Next up, we see uh, Platte Valley, the Broncos, beating Devlin. 22 to 12 uh, no stats here yet but this doesn't give me the best confidence for platte valley heading into a matchup with wellington um then we have delta scraping by the pagosa springs pirates 14 to 7 uh ty reed 6 for 10 for 125 yards and one touchdown uh rushing we see tail and hewlett 
uh, 86 yards. Ty Reed, 51 yards. Giovanni Romero, 14 yards rushing, receiving. Uh, we find Rylan Bynum, 83 yards. Clayton Cry, or yeah, Cryer, 35 yards. And that's all we have for this one. It sounds like the other touchdown was a defensive score, but we don't have any stats for that yet. And then finally, we have uh, Florence versus Lamar. Florence would take uh, the Huskies would take down the Thunder, 53 to 12. And so uh, that's all the games that happened. Uh, I do just have one last thing. And uh, for everyone listening, uh, I've talked with uh, with people from Manitou, and I've watched the film from that Woodland Park game. And all I have to say is that this guy, Caden Lewis, is a headhunter, and a lot of the play, like he gave he gave a guy a concussion, like by leading headfirst and just smacking him in the head with his helmet, and then uh, got two separate roughing the kicker penalties got kicked out of the game for headhunting and then was back in a couple of plays later. So if that doesn't tell you what you need to know about the state of Woodland Park football, I'm not sure what will. But in any case, that is our 2A recap. Depending on what order uh, Cody puts this in, you'll soon be listening to me again going over Thompson Valley versus Niwot. But for now, I hope everyone is having a very good day. Uh, if there are any games I didn't talk about, it's because we attended those games like Kent Denver versus Denver West. But I hope everyone is well. Stay safe. Don't die. Don't get captured. And stay beautiful. Obviously, you want a trainer who can make you stronger and faster with the work you put in. But what about a trainer who can help you rehab and recover like the pros? Look no further than Junkyard Training that not only offers specific strength and speed training, but also offers a plethora of recovery and rehab techniques like cryo, cupping, recovery boots, and so much more. Learn more today by visiting junkyardtraining.net or call 303-521-7594. Once again, visit junkyardtraining.net or call 303-521-7594 and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back. This is Gideon again and now I will be doing the recap for Friday night's game between the Niwot Cougars and the Thompson Valley Eagles at Ray Patterson Stadium in Loveland. And so all around this was a this was a game that was a bit of a not not spur of the moment because I had all week to think about it, but a, a little bit spur of the moment. And I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna see what uh, I'm gonna see what Thompson Valley's got. I'm gonna see what Niwot's got. Just give uh, give both of these schools a chance to show me what they're about. And so, we're gonna start this one off with the Niwot side of things. So, this started off with Paris Lee's kickoff going for 50, but the return was for about 70 yards. Uh, after allowing a touchdown on the very next play, the Cougars went down 0-7, to 21 seconds into the first quarter. Sergio Garcia's kickoff return was for about 8 yards, and after a short gain by Hayden Shaw, Chad Wolf threw to Mats Lehan for 8 and a first down. After that, it was 3 and out, leading to a punt out of bounds. Juan Mares got a tackle, and a solid pass rush led to forcing a 3 and out. Or so I thought, because Gavin Barrage had to tackle a fake punt that made it 15 yards. 
Garrett Ecker wrapped up a runner, and then Nico Kemp sniffed out a QB sneak. A.G. Beasley got a tackle, and then Garcia saved a touchdown by forcing a fumble right next to the end zone, which turned into a touchback. This gave the Cougars back the ball, and then Chad Wolf threw to Garcia for seven, but ultimately it was three and out with a turnover on downs. Ecker got another tackle, followed by Caleb Roby forcing a hurry, which led to a field goal attempt by Thompson Valley, which made it 0-10 for Niwa with 43.9 on the board. Wolf then threw to Lehan for 20 before the end of the quarter. To start the second and most eventful quarter in this game, Chad Wolf ran for seven and then Shaw went for four more. On third and three, there was a fumble, putting the Cougars back on defense. Niwot then allowed a tough 60-yard touchdown, and after a timeout with 9.33 on the clock, went down 0-16. to Garcia then ripped off an electric 91-yard return on the kickoff for a tutty of his own. This, plus Lee hitting a PAT, made it 7-16 with 9.20 on the clock for the Niwot Cougars. After a face mask on the return, Beasley and number 77 shared a tackle for loss. Uh, Wyatt Wolf Wolf got a tackle and then Kemp did the same twice in a row. Connor Daughtry got a hurry and then a group tackle stopped a first down. After an onsides call, Kemp got another tackle followed by Garcia catching an interception on the 6-yard line to prevent the score. We'll hear a little bit more about that later. Uh, But then Jesus Rosas ran for six in two consecutive downs, followed by Chad Wolf throwing to Lehan for eight. Chad then kept for about 20 yards, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, he he was able to sneak his way along the left sideline, but uh, holding brought it back to first and one, which seemed easy. But it started a tragic series of events for the Cougars, which ultimately, I think, ended the game for them where there was a false start, an unsportsmanlike conduct call, and an allowed sack, which led to a punt off of what was first and one. Uh, and then uh, on the kickoff, on the punt return, uh, Barrage got a tackle, and after a timeout with 127 on the clock, uh, Wyatt, Vol- Wyatt Wolf, he got a push-out tackle. The very next play, Thompson Valley would score a touchdown to put Niwot down 23-7 with 108 on the clock. Eric Dillon would return the kickoff for about 25, and then the Cougars went three and out, making it a turnover on downs. After pass deflection by Garcia, Niwa allowed a 45-yard passing score to go down 30-7 with about 22 seconds left, which was basically it for the half at Ray Patterson, which is really, really tough. In less than a two-minute swing, you go from being down 16-7, to which is very... I mean, it's not easy to come back from, but it's easier. But then, all of a sudden, you're down 30-7, to and this game's looking out of reach. In the third, there wasn't really much uh, going on. Uh, Lee had a punt for about 35, and then Lehan got a tackle before Niwa allowed another 50-yard touchdown to go down 7-37 to with 10-11 on the clock. Garcia then trucked his way back on the kickoff for about 30 yards before Chad threw to Lehan for 16. After a timeout with 5.57, Chad ran for another 15 yards before throwing a pick. Barrage got a few tackles of his own before Niwa allowed another touchdown 
to go down 44-7 with 3.03 on the clock. Chad then threw to Garcia for 15 to end the frame. In the fourth, Chad connected again, this time with Dylan for 25, and then again for the last score of this matchup, a 20-yard tutty to Dylan, and after Lee hit the PAT, it made it a 14-44 game with 11 minutes, 22 seconds on the clock. At this point, JV went in, a little bit of a a little bit of funny tomfoolery happened with the linemen's putting on a uh, a running backs jersey, but it was it was harmless. Uh, the most impressive player in this period, I will note, uh, was Moses Gonzalez. I uh, hope I'm saying that right. Uh, he he made a bunch of good defensive stops there. He was able to make his impact felt. But speaking of impressive players for this game. We're going to move on to the defensive playmakers of the game for the Niwot Cougars, who were Gavin Barrage and Nico Kemp, which, I mean, it was a very difficult call that I decided not to make. Honestly, both of these guys did a really, really good job defensively during this one. Aside from Garcia, it felt like they were the ones on defense keeping it close as it was. Like, when these guys were on the field, there was that spike of energy in the Niwot defense, where, sure, in the second half, it wasn't as close, but in the first half, it was extremely competitive, it felt like, largely because of Barrage and Kemp. So, first off, we're going to go with what Kemp ended up saying in this one, and then we'll then we'll go to Barrage's interview. So, when you're looking at a, honestly, high playoff seed, potentially state-contending team like mm. Thompson Valley... Coming into this game, you guys showed a lot of fight in the first half, and it was a lot closer than the score suggests. What was the team's mentality heading into this game to be able to keep it close? Um, I mean, all pre- like all uh, like week, we were just like focusing on playing together, just playing as a team, and just like no matter what, just keep on battling the whole time. All right. And what was your uh, what was your approach like? mentally to trying to be able to get those pressures that you were getting effectively mm. on on Thompson Valley's quarterback. I mean just keep on grinding, just keep on going. <laughs> just like no matter what, just got I just got to get him. Thank you Nico, an absolute pleasure to speak with you. And now on to hear what Gavin Barrage had to say about this matchup. When you're looking at defensively and I mean you were playing special teams as well yeah. in tonight's game. Uh, you were making your impact felt. You were able to punch through, put a little bit of pressure on Riley a couple times, get a bunch of really hard tackles there over the course of this game. Yeah. What were you looking at in the defensive line to be able to get that type of pressure? And then when you're looking on the outside, how were you able to get such effective tackles? Well, to tell by the, the D-line, um, I kind of looked at their position movements and I could tell which way they were going to go just based off their head movement and then for which way they were going to run I could tell just by their spread on one side of another uh, I could tell which way they were trying to lean towards and that's how I got uh, to the sideline and let it out so much is because I knew they were trying to run to my side so I tried to get extension and just uh, push them out as far as I could and then when they came to me I just tried to just get them as hard as I could but yeah Looking forward to the rest of the league schedule, they're probably not going to make that. Mis- no, no teams are probably going to make the mistake of pushing them to your side again. Yeah. 
Thank you. But you've got a relatively tough league schedule, and you're going to have to win the vast majority of those games to have a shot at the playoffs. Right. So when you're looking at making sure that you get the next dub and you're able to continue climbing that RPI ladder, what is your mental approach going to be to making sure this team's on the right path? Well, I think the best thing, the best approach so far is just to not hang our heads. I know last year we had a, like we were in the same schedule and I just feel like this team's so much more confident. Like this whole game we didn't, we didn't stop most of the time and like we just kept on going. And uh, I know some of our team was unhealthy this game. Like uh, my other outside linebacker, he was a JV guy. And I knew uh, if we had him, it could be a whole lot different, but I just feel like uh, Nywat's going in the right direction. I mean, from my, from four years ago to now, I feel like we're a whole different team. I feel like our mentality is different. And uh, I feel like it's due to the to the coaches, really, and just them pushing us. And I feel like the Nywat community wants to see us succeed, and I feel like we want to have that too. Thank you very, very much, Gavin. And it's always good to hear when players feel like their community is backing them up. And this was certainly one of those situations. And I mean, this is a vastly improved team from last year. This is a team that, depending on how this league schedule goes, I think could have a shot at the playoffs. And a large part of that is the engine of the offense who was our offensive playmaker of the game, Chad Wolf. I hope I'm saying that right, Chad. But he did a really good job in this one. He just went out there and uh, he, he just competed his ass off. He was accurate. He knew how to scramble. And a lot of, a decent amount of quarterbacks just can't do that. I mean, offensively, it's good to know that you've got someone like Chad who is a good option no matter which way you want to go. And so here's Wolf with his thoughts on this matchup in particular. When we're looking at this game, you came in, you were able to keep it pretty close in the first half, much closer than the score ends up suggesting. But in the second half, it felt like, especially in the air game, you were starting to figure things out a little bit more. Yeah. How are you going to be carrying that momentum into next week? Well, I know Frederick's really good. Um, the air game helps a lot. The, the passing opens up the running. And so I think the air game, and I have three really, really good receivers. Sergio, Mott, and Eric are really insane. Eric Sergio had an insane game today. But, um, yeah, I think uh, next week we've got a lot, of, a lot of work to do. But I think we can, we can do it. And what do you say to all the doubters of Niwad out there? We're not the old Niwad. And I think that really personifies part of the fighting spirit of this team. They were able, like, Nywat's coming, and no matter what, they're going to fight to the end, no matter what the final score says. And a lot of that fight, I feel, was personified in Nywat's peak performer, playmaker of the game in this one, Sergio Garcia. Garcia was the guy for Nywat. He caught for at least 50 receiving yards. He got a pick. He forced that fumble to turn into the touchback. And he ran back a 90-yard kickoff return to make this game close in the first half. He, he was the guy that made those big plays. He is, without a doubt, the playmaker of the game for Niwat. And here are his comments on this matchup. 
when we're looking at tonight's game, you were able to generate that really long score down the sideline there in the first half, and then on defense, you were just making your impact known. Yeah. And so being able to be that, di that dynamic, you can do it on special teams, you can do it on defense and offense. What is your routine to be able to keep yourself in that in the, in the shape to be able to do that? Well, you gotta you really gotta take an emphasis on like recovery, you know, because we're working hard every day, for three hours a day. You know, it takes a toll on your body. You have, you have to make sure you're good by game day. You know what I mean? Yeah, makes sense. So, like every before every game day, I always take an ice bath, and then I always take uh, magnesium before I go to sleep. You know, just to make sure my body's right. Lots of electrolytes, stuff like that. Very good. And obviously not the result you wanted, mm -hmm. but that was a pretty good fight against a really, really talented team, especially in the first half. It was much closer than the score suggests. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at bouncing back next week, trying to get it against a Frederick team that they were almost the league champion in uh, last year. So when you're looking at facing off against that squad, what's... What do you remember from last year, and how are you going to improve on that? Well, I don't really remember too much from last year because last year I got injured, took a hamstring strain, and that affected me throughout the season. But this year I'm, I'm hearing that they're more of a pass team now, you know. So that's that's good for me. So, you know, but you know we just gotta we just gotta practice hard. We gotta bounce back. We can't let this game define what we do. Sounds good. And last but not least, what was your favorite memory from tonight's game? Favorite memory? It was probably the pick. Because, like, when we, when we lined up, I saw him look at his sideline and point at me. So I was like, like, I had to do it, you know. And it felt really good to get that interception. Thank you very much, Sergio, for your time. And might I also say, I am glad that, uh, that you were not injured this year. I mean, yeah, without Sergio Garcia, this game would have been much, much different. And now, on to the other side of this matchup. We have Thompson Valley, the Eagles. On the kickoff return, Garrett Hendrickson uh, from earlier, he made an 80-yard run immediately pumping energy into that Eagles squad. Riley Suarez then punched in an 8-yard score to put Thompson Valley up 7-0 with 11.39 left in the first after Eli Metzger hit the PAT. Metzger's kickoff then went 50 before Declan Servin got a tackle. After a group tackle at the line of scrimmage, C.J. James brought a man down, followed by Marco Lapierre. Seth Castle then got a sack to force a punt, and then the next offensive drive was 3-and out, or so I thought because LaPierre ran the fake punt for seven and a first down, and then again for nine. Christian Chase carried four, and after the Eagles lured the defense offsides, Suarez ran for six and moved the chains. Then a caught TD turned into a touchback with a loose grip, putting Thompson Valley back on defense. Castle got another tackle, which preceded Landry Suarez getting a tackle for loss. James got a takedown to force a change of rules, which led to Christian Chase running for four. After a few empty downs, Metzger ended up taking a 40-yard field goal, which he made to put the Eagles up 10-0 with 44 seconds left. Metzger's kickoff was a touchback, and Hendrickson got a tackle on the return. 
James and Dane Gray then shared a tackle to end the quarter. Starting the second, Castle got a tackle, followed by James and Landry. After someone forced a fumble, Ryan Case covered it, giving the Eagles back possession. Riley then ran for a 62-yard touchdown, but a bad snap on the PAT made it only 16-0 for Thompson Valley, with 9.33 left in the half. The Eagles then allowed a 90-yard kickoff return tutty, which narrowed the gap 16-7, with 9.20 on the board. Hendrickson returned the kickoff for 18 and then caught a pass from Riley for 12. Chase ran for 5 and then Riley kept for 8 before a timeout with 6.01 on the board. Landry ran for 5 and then Riley juked for a 25-yard score that was called back by holding. This led to a pick which brought the D back to the field. Case and James shared a takedown and then Case shared another, this time with Levi Marr, before Landry and Castle shared a sack. After a timeout with 1.49, the Eagles forced a punt. Riley threw to LaPierre for 18, and then again for the same distance, where LaPierre broke multiple tackles to put in a touchdown. After a false start on the conversion, Metzger hit the PAT to make it 23-7 with 1.08 left. After Case and Chase each got past deflections, TV was back on O, where Riley threw to LaPierre again, this time for a 45-yard score. This, plus the PAT by Metzger, made it 30-7, which shut the door in this one to close the half. For the sake of time, I'll only talk about the big defensive plays and over 10-yard offensive plays in the second half. After forcing a punt, Chase ran in a 50-yard touchdown to make it a 37-7 game with 10-11 on the clock in the third. James and Gray ended up sharing a sack before a hurry that honestly should have been called roughing the passer occurred. Hendrickson caught an interception shortly thereafter, and he caught another pass after that, this one from Riley, for 15 yards. Riley ran for 16, and then Lantry ran for 22 before Jonah Tugwell would put in a score to make it 44-7 with 3.03 left, and that was basically all to end the third. To open the fourth, Thompson Valley was allowing some big passes, which allowed a touchdown with 11.22 left to make it 44-14. After a timeout with 7.58, Forrest Roberts got a tackle, and then on O, Tugwell ran for 17 across two plays. After a 50-yard field goal was off, Isaiah V. Hill recovered a fumble, which was all she wrote. Honestly, this game was over, uh, was over in the third quarter, so at that point it was trying to trying to keep stuff good for RPI purposes. In any case, the defensive playmaker of the game in this one, I would say, was Seth Castle. Uh, Castle was the defensive tone setter for Thompson Valley in this game. Early on, he was the spearhead of the D, and he made the first really big defensive play of the game with that sack early on, and he made sure that everyone knew who was in control. He got, he got a couple of sacks along with a lot of good pressure on the quarterback, which did help to relieve his DBs. So all around, very good night. And so here is Castle with comments. Well, you had a really good night on defense. You had, you had a couple of sacks. You got a bunch of pressure, a bunch of hurries there. And when you're looking on keeping up that production to be able to hope to make, get yourself a top 10 seed headed into the playoffs, What's your approach to studying the offensive line for games like this? Uh, watching film, listening to my coaches. My coaches study all night. They spend hours on hours, so listening to them is the best advice I have. And then watching film and just memorizing what they're doing. 
Yeah, and obviously no plan ever su ever survives the actual the actual event. So when you're looking at those surprises that Niwat throws at you during this game, what you, what was your thought process when you were when you were adapting to those? Uh, just to push through it and just focus on what my job and no matter what's coming at me, just to know what I'm doing and to succeed with that. Fair enough. And uh, what was your favorite memory from tonight? Oh, that sack I had at the start of the game with my big celebration, that was pumping. <laughs> and then I almost blocked that field goal. That was pretty fun. I love that. This sure. game's such fun, and these guys make it great. So whatever yeah, these guys do, make it any times better. I mean, very, very good game from you there, Seth. Uh, and that, that sack in the first quarter for what was probably the defensive play of that first quarter for for Thompson Valley, it really felt like that was the start of the swing towards this being this being the Eagles game. Another big part of that was our offensive playmaker of the game, Riley Suarez. Uh, Suarez was definitely the best offensive player in this one. Uh, quarterback threw for 123 yards and two scores to one pick and ran for 104 yards with 12 more points. All around, he was the engine that the offense ran through, and where he goes, this team will follow. Here's Suarez with what he said about this matchup. So this was a bit of a bounce-back week for y'all after yes. after last week, but you've had some pretty good success against really talented teams. We're able to double up on Loveland, and that shows some really good arc for you guys heading into the playoffs. So. What are you guys going to be doing to make sure that you keep that momentum and get yourself a home seat for the first round? Yeah, so uh, us captains, we had a meeting with the team and this week, and we really just kind of said, what team are we? We have to kind of figure out who we are as a team. If we're going to be winners, we're going to win. we got to win every week, week after week. And if we're going to be losers, then we, we can lay down and do whatever we want. But I don't, I don't think anybody on this team decided that we were going to be leaked losers. So... I think that that is a big mindset change for us to like kind of the new era of Thompson Valley football. What would you say is the is the secret to a good quarterback keep? Because you were getting those things all night, being pretty solid at misdirecting the defense. So what's your secret? Uh, trust your blockers and not run the big guys that are chasing you. <laughs> That's all that it is. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, thank you very much there, Riley. Uh, it, Riley, he had that really long one, I think about 62 yards earlier in the game. So all around really solid job there by Riley Suarez to, re I mean, obviously he's the field general as the quarterback, but make sure his team stays on the right track. But his main target there towards the end of the first half that really provided separation and the guy who I think is the X factor for this team is our playmaker of the game, Marco Lapierre, the 6'3 senior receiver slash safety, was the best two-way player in this one for Thompson Valley. He made the best plays at the best times to put the Eagles in a place to succeed. His clutch touchdown at the end of the first half shut the door on this game and really made this what it ended up being. Here's Lapierre with his comments on the rest of the season for the Eagles. When we're looking at the course of this game, for the first half, it was really much closer than that score suggests. But you were able to generate some really big plays, both on offense and defense, to make sure that score was what it ended up being. How do you make sure that you have the right amount of energy to make those big plays when it matters most? You gotta always have a kind of high energy level. 
Um, it's not really like picking and choosing your plays, but know when the ball's going to you and just be ready for anything, really. Um, coming out like straight up, straight away, we knew we needed that energy. That's something we've lacked quite a bit in the games that we've lost. So energy was a big thing for us this week. So I think everyone, we embraced that and we did well with energy. And you're going to have to keep up that energy for the rest of the season because you're in one of the tougher leagues in 3A. So when you're looking forward, what is your thought process for the rest of the season? I think we're a state championship contending team, you know. Um, Loveland was, is one of the best teams in the state. They've shown it for years to come. So I think we can contend for a state championship. And if we keep playing our winning football, there's nothing that can stop us. Marco, I think you're on the right track there. And now... I think that when this team is at its best, it can go toe-to-toe with just about anyone. It just is a matter of staying at that best, and they're going to have to be there for a while. And so I'll touch on that here in a minute, but here's our game summary. While the second half was like a lot of second halves I've seen this year, the first was very tense. Sergio Garcia managed to wrangle in clutch play after clutch play to keep Niwat in striking distance, but there's only so much magic before luck runs out. Thompson Valley ended up running away with it, and those two scores from Marco at the end of the first half sealed it. Without those, there's a world where Niwat comes back to win this one. But now, Niwat is 3-2 and two, heading into the league, with Thompson Valley sitting at the same mark. The Cougars will be facing the Frederick Golden Eagles next week, George Washington the week after, and then Meade, Riverdale Ridge, and Denver North. I see either 2-3 and three or 3-2. Three and two. I see George Washington as a win, and then two of Frederick, Meade, and Denver North being wins. Riverdale Ridge is probably a loss since the Ravens ended up beating Thompson Valley, who have an even tougher league schedule. The Eagles will host the Severn Silver Knights next week, followed by Mountain View, Roosevelt, Northridge, and Res Christian. I see at least 1-4 and four and a maximum of 4-1. and one. I don't see the Eagles beating Roosevelt right now, but they will definitely be Mountain View, and the other games are toss-ups. All around, I'm very glad that I was able to make it out to this one. I hope that everyone involved also had a good time. And yeah, that'll be it for me in today's episode of the Playmakers Corner Podcast, episode 301. I hope that everyone is having a good day. Stay safe. Hope you all get some good sleep this week. And yeah, see you all around and keep enjoying Colorado high school athletics. Peace. Yes, sir. Gideon, thank you for that recap of Niwot versus Thompson Valley. I'll talk about some of the numbers later in the recap as well. But I'm going to go ahead and take us through 3A. There was not a lot of games. I want to say there is like maybe 15 total games this week in 3A. So lots of bye weeks and uh, lots of teams preparing to head into league. But with all that being said, let's go ahead and talk about the teams that did play this week. On Thursday night, only two games. Riverdale Ridge beating Sierra. Isaiah Medina highlighting this game with four touchdowns on 20 of 28 passing. But then once again, Marcus McFadden going on a tear here, eight receptions for 135 yards and two scores. Those two receiving touchdowns were also matched by McKinley Jones here. On the Sierra side of the ball, Chris Williams led the team in yards with 99 on seven catches, but that was not enough to overcome the offensive onslaught of Riverdale, as well as Isaac Alvarez and his two interceptions in that game to help pitch the shutout against the Stallions. Now, moving on to the other Thursday game, Green Mountain, one of the top teams in the entire state, remains undefeated after beating Meade 44-7. 
The quarterback for the Rams, Westland, was a little shaky through the air, having been intercepted by Angel Johnson in a pick six and J.D. Hamilton. That pick six helped keep this game at 7-14 to after one quarter, but that did not matter as Austin Beeson had two interceptions himself for Green Mountain and three different Rams ran for scores in the 44-7 to route of the Mavs. Now, G-dubs... George Washington, that is, spotted 15 points in the very first quarter, being down 15-0, and they end up losing 42-32 to to far northeast here. Once again, no stats from George Washington, so a little weird here, but those 15 points in the first quarter ended up mattering a ton in what was only a 10-point game. Now, in other Denver news, Denver North, aided by Frankie Dardano here, won their game against Skyview. Skyview coming in hot, but ultimately fizzling out here, especially under the bright light of Dardano's five-touchdown performance, going 13 of 21 for 200 yards and four touchdowns in the air, and then another 58 yards and a score on the ground that was more than enough to overwhelm the Wolverines. On the defensive side of the ball, Antoine Silburn, Lorenzo Guerra, and Chase Pittman all record interceptions, and along with a fumble recovery, the Vikings' defense was pillaging the Skyview offense in this shutout win. Very strong win against an opponent that at least have wins in the win column here. So quality for Denver North here as we march towards the playoffs. In an upset here, Pueblo South beats Monarch 25-14. to This is a huge effort from the sophomore class here as Chase Hurley gets two rushing scores. Jake Pisciotta notches 87 receiving yards, a score on five receptions, and the Colts recover three fumbles on the defensive side of the ball. Not to mention the kicker, Braden Medina, goes a perfect two of two and one of one, two of two on PATs and one of one on field goal attempts on kicks for five points and help with the dub. And more on Monarch later from Gino. Now in 3A action, Holy Family cruises to a 41-6 win over Conifer. Ryland Cooney up to his usual business of two rushing and two passing touchdowns. Dom Gabriel rushing for 126 yards and a pair of scores. And on the other side of the ball for the Lobos, Air Force commit Grady Forsyth does record a receiving touchdown, but cannot outperform Jackson Grable's monster four-reception, 101-yard, two-receiving touchdown performance for Holy Family. Resurrection Christian playing against Sand Creek. They score 35 points in the first quarter and route to cruising to a 60-8 win over the Scorpions. Now, in 3A versus 4A news, this was a pretty big game here, one that went pretty differently than last year, even though the result ends up the same. Northfield here, aided by Christian Love, who had 38 total touches between rushing and passing, has two rushing touchdowns and throws one. And the defense does force three turnovers of their own in this game. But unfortunately, the Nighthawks do lose to Vista Ridge in overtime 32-27 as Christian Love does cough up the ball and throws to the wrong team once as well. So he had two turnovers on his 38 touches. And the defense did allow a touchdown in that overtime period. They were up, it was 24-24. Northfield scores a field goal but Vista Ridge will score the touchdown to win that game. More on Vista Ridge's performance from Gino in the 4A recap, but I will say this is quite the missed opportunity for the Nighthawks to really make a statement. I won't say that it, I didn't see this coming, seeing as how young the program is and how new it is to 3A. It is nice to see them compete against Vista Ridge this year as opposed to last year. Granted, very different Vista Ridge team as well, 
but Northfield here definitely missed out on a chance for kind of a statement win against a solid enough for a squad. Well, at least according to Chassa, really good for a squad, but that remains to be seen. I digress as I move through more 3A recap here. Mountain View loses in a shootout to Centaurus, 27-34. And then, as Gideon kind of alluded to, Thompson Valley kind of dog walks Niwot, 44-14. Suarez runs for two and throws for two and has over 200 yards, with Marco Lapierre catching those two receiving touchdowns. But both playmakers do cough up the ball. Go to Gideon's recap for more in-depth analysis of this game. Now, Palisade versus Evergreen. Both these teams coming in without a win and who comes out? Well, who let the dogs out as the Bulldogs get their first win of the season on the back of Caleb Wells' 230 rushing yards and three rushing scores. But that was not to leave out Caden Everett, who ran for another 119 yards and a score of his own. Now, the Cougars, on the other hand, do force six fumbles in this game and recover four of them, but unfortunately just don't capitalize off of them because the Bulldogs' defense responded with seven tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, and 12 hurries with star Tatua credited with five of those hurries, as well as getting two interceptions on the heels of a constant harassment of this evergreen quarterback passing game and line. On Saturday, only two games here, so literally 13 games this week, two Thursday, nine Friday, two on Saturday, and the opening one was Summit, who drops the hammer on Lincoln 53-6, the Lancers drop to 1-4, and four, and the Tigers are on a three-game win streak, floating at 4-2 and two right now. Discovery Canyon, later that day, did beat Harrison 51-20. The Thunder were only up by 10 at half before a three-touchdown third quarter put this game out of reach. want to put a shout-out here to Jacob Youssef here, who goes absolutely nuclear or thunderly. That's not a word, but goes thunderstruck on the field for 183 yards and four touchdowns on just 20 carries, while also defensively notching six tackles a sack and two tackles for loss. Now, Hayden Jones does record two rushing scores of his own for the Thunder, and on the other end of the ball, Discovery Canyon does get three picks and two fumble recoveries on the defensive end in the dub. It is worth mentioning that Preciado remains patient along with Jazari Spencer, who both eventually find Pater for Harrison, and then Preciado also has a scoop and run for a big gain, but that would not be enough to overcome Discovery Canyon. That's all for the 3A recap this week, and I think that's all that I talk about 3A for the remainder of the season. So thanks for sticking with me as I probably attend more 3A games than I have all year in these closing weeks, but uh, yeah, I'm going to pass the mic off to Gino here, who's going to take us through 4A. What is going on, everybody? Gino here with the Playmakers Corner Podcast, coming at you with the Week 6 4A recap for this week. There were a lot of interesting games this week, with league games getting into full swing, so let's go ahead and dive right into the Thursday games. Starting off our Thursday games, we have Aurora Central, who shut out Adam City by a score of 55-0. For Aurora Central, Markel Perkins and Kamari May both finished with two rushing touchdowns, with Perkins getting 116 on only five carries, and May got 91 on only five carries as well. On defense, Makai Unit forced and recovered a fumble for a touchdown, and freshman Avante Hosley had a pick six. 
Then on special teams here, we have two players who returned a punt for a touchdown. Next game here, Skyline beat Silver Creek in a close one, 29 to 26. For Silver Creek on offense, they were led by Eli Myers, who went 16 for 24, 222 yards and three touchdowns. And they were also led by Cole Rogers, who put up 118 yards and a touchdown on 25 carries. For receivers here for Silver Creek, Steele Beckvar caught five passes for 80 yards and two touchdowns. And then you also had Bubba Fisk led the team in receiving yards with 110 on five catches. Next game here, we have the number four in our power rankings, Montrose, who took down Grand Junction Central by a score of 43-7. to In our last Thursday game, Golden got a nice win over Bear Creek, 32-21. to For Golden, Luke Chevalier put up a Playmaker of the Week-worthy performance with 149 yards and four touchdowns on only 15 carries in this big win for Golden. On defense for Golden, Jack Flambers and Anton McCray both caught a pick. And also, Jonathan Wheeler and Carson Hardiger both forced a fumble. Let's go ahead and dive right into these Friday games here. Starting off our Friday matchup, Stanley Lake won a close one over Grand Junction, 14-12. For Stanley Lake, Liam Graham bounced back nicely this week with 185 yards and two touchdowns on 22 carries. Then on defense here for Stanley Lake, Roberto Arredondo caught a pick. Next game here, Far Northeast got the win over George Washington by a score of 42-32. to 32. I cannot believe these stats are real, but it appears Russell Patton for Far Northeast put up an unfathomable 353 yards and four touchdowns on only 15 carries. What a monster game from Patton, and really just a great season overall from him so far this season. On defense for Far Northeast, Jesse Matthews had two sacks and three tackles for loss. Kinchise Ray had uh, led the team with 11 tackles. And Jeremiah's Jeremio had six tackles and three tackles for loss. Next game here, we had an important one where Fruita Monument put all of 4A on notice with a 37-34 win over number three Heritage. Two words, Amari Wilson. He put up 159 yards and five of Fruita's six touchdowns on 20 carries. On defense, you had Shad Huddleston, who had himself a game as well, with 10 tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks, and he's not done there. He also had an interception. You also had RJ Jones, who had six tackles and two sacks, and then Aiden Anderson caught a pick. For Heritage, it was a rough game from Kurt Rosner, who finished with 159 yards, a touchdown, Two picks and a loss fumble on only 13 of 28 passing. In a close game like this, those turnovers really, really mean a lot. You also had Jeff Balica ran the ball well, getting 78 yards and two touchdowns on 12 carries. And then here on defense for Heritage, Turner Graham had 12 tackles. Nick Long forced a fumble and Hudson Porter blocked a punt. Let's move on to the next matchup here where Falcon got a blowout win over Coronado, 63-22. For Falcon, Carter Thorpe went 5-5 passing for 81 yards and two TDs, and then he also ran for 30 yards and got another touchdown on five carries. Ashton Luttrell finished with 209 total yards from scrimmage, 41 of those and a touchdown were from receiving, 31 from rushing, 75 on punt returns, and 62 on kick returns. In total, here for Falcons, seven different players had a rushing touchdown. 
Then we had the number nine in our power rankings, Thomas Jefferson stomp on Vista Peak by a score of 52 to 13. After that, it was number eight Loveland who lost a bad one to number two Erie by a score of 36 to 19. For Erie, another great game here for Blake Barnett. He went 12 of 20, 132 yards and two touchdowns through the air. And then of course he added 139 yards and a touchdown on the ground. On defense for Erie, Carson Hagman had 12 tackles and a QB hurry. For Loveland, Ryder Easton had an all right game, going 249 yards and a touchdown on 13 of 20 passing. Trey Olson had both of Loveland's touchdowns with 49 yards and a touchdown on 16 carries on the ground. And then he added four receptions, 76 yards and a touchdown receiving. On defense for Loveland, Caden Stansbury finished with 12 tackles and three tackles for loss. Next game here, we have Greeley Central fell to Windsor by a score of 50 to seven. Greeley Central could not stop Windsor's run game at all. The three main culprits for Windsor were Sam Cooper with 89 yards and two touchdowns on 11 carries, Trip Thomas with 101 yards and a touchdown on only two carries, and Brady Lichtenberg with 152 yards and a touchdown on eight carries. Wyatt Gustafson also had a rushing touchdown. Sorry if I mispronounced that. On defense, Rylan Renton, Henry Jones, and Brock Paquette all had double-digit tackles. Jones and Renton both forced a fumble as well, and Mikey Munn took an interception 66 yards to the house. Next game here, we have Centaurus won a close one over Mountain View, 34-27. Chance Wood had four total touchdowns for Centaurus, three passing, one rushing. Then Ben Mitschke got 101 yards and a touchdown on 18 carries. And Jack Piranha had 94 yards and two touchdowns on six receptions. Next game here, Greeley West lost a bad one to Longmont, 49-13. For Longmont, it was a great game for both Colby Holmes and Cole Gaddis this week. For Holmes, he went 13-17, 230 yards and four touchdowns. And then for Gaddis, he got 143 yards of his own and two touchdowns on only 14 carries. Sophomore Joey Foote went off too with 176 yards and three touchdowns on nine catches. Next game here, Cheyenne Mountain pulled out the win over Air Academy 30 to 21. For Cheyenne Mountain, Bruce Archambault went seven of 16, 80 yards and two touchdowns passing. And then rushing the ball, he added 98 yards and a touchdown on 15 carries. Troy Harold stepping up big this week with 174 yards of his own and a touchdown on 14 carries. And then on defense, he added an interception and a tackle for loss. So big game from him. Also on defense for Cheyenne Mountain, Griffin LaRue had two sacks and Connor Cavini caught a pick. Next game here, Mesa Ridge got a big win over the number five in our power rankings, Pueblo West in a close one, 36 to 34. 350 yards rushing as a team for Mesa Ridge was the story in this game. Both Travon Salas and Isaiah Jones went crazy, with Jones getting 181 yards on 25 carries, and Salas getting 132 yards and two touchdowns on 22 carries. On defense, Tevin Reel recovered a fumble for a touchdown, and Levi Tesson got two tackles for loss and a sack. Moving on now, Monarch fell to Pueblo South 25 to 14. 
Chase Hurley had two rushing touchdowns for Pueblo South, and their QB sophomore Caden Herrera went 16 of 23, 177 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. For receivers for Pueblo South, Jake Piscioda got 87 yards and a touchdown on five receptions. For Monarch, Rex Muldoon finished with 16 tackles, and Archie John and Gavin Fagan both caught a pick. Next game here, Palmer lost a close one to Liberty by a score of 39-31. to William Heiser and Lucas Westerman both had double-digit tackles for Liberty, and four different players had a sack. In our second-to-last second Friday matchup, Vista Ridge pulled out the win over 3A Northfield, 30-27. It was a 322-yard, three-total touchdown performance for Zayden Stevenson. He went 17-26, 310 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks through the air. Then he added 22 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Sonny Endicott went crazy with 185 yards and two touchdowns on six catches. And then on defense here, Nashon Hall and Austin Larson both caught a pick. In our last of the Friday matchups, we had an absolute thriller where Hinkley lost a close one to Thornton by a score of 7-6. to six. That's it for the Friday matchups. Let's go ahead and get into these three Saturday matchups where number seven Dakota Ridge got squashed by number six Broomfield 49 to 21. Now we didn't get any stats for Broomfield as of the recording of this podcast, but for Dakota Ridge, landing Callsbeck was the only offense finishing with 154 yards and three touchdowns on 16 carries. Passing the ball, Blake Palladino went 12 of 19, 147 yards and a pick, and Cole Ellinger caught six passes for 112 yards as well. Paladino also ran for 73 yards on 12 carries. Next game here, we have the number one in our power rankings, Palmer Ridge, dominate Rampart 42-0. Derek Hester had a nice game going 12 for 19, 139 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. He also ran the ball well with another, with another 68 yards on eight carries. Jim Ware followed up his big game last week with six catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. And then Holden Wright got 54 yards and a touchdown on six carries. In our last game for 4A here, we have the number nine in our power rankings, Ponderosa, get a big win over Denver South, 42-6. No Pondo stats as of the recording of this podcast, but here for Denver South, Orlando Guavera had 108 yards and a touchdown on 10 carries, and Chevelle Early got 91 yards on 17 carries. On defense for South, Amani Vegas had three tackles and an interception. Thank you for that recap, Gino. Now we're going to pass it over to Coach V to do a recap before we get into our 5A action. What's good, y'all? It's Coach V. Let's go ahead and talk about this Pine Creek versus Fountain Fort Carson matchup on September 28th. That is Thursday. Both teams going into this one undefeated at 5-0. I believe this is the first game, uh, first league game for both squads as well. This one being played up at D20 Stadium. Pine Creek having the home field advantage. Let's go ahead and hop into this one. Obviously a big one. A lot of playoff implications on the line, but we'll talk about that a little bit after this recap. But let's go ahead and hop into it. So, Pine Creek would go ahead and start with the ball. Nice return to get them on the 32. 
and on the first play of the game on this drive as well, Cam Cooper, the junior quarterback, dials it up and throws it deep to Cannon Budge for a big time, just about 68-yard touchdown on the money in 101. The speedster Budge goes ahead and makes Fountain for Carson Pay. And just like that, they take a 7-0 lead. Only about 15 seconds into this game. That was at the 11.45 mark in the first quarter. Now, Fountain for Carson would take over. Obviously, no Colts and Camba got hurt a couple weeks ago. They had Caleb Keats, the junior, going in there. And it doesn't work out super well. They try to run the ball here to Tyshawn Miller, Matthias Price, but they are stopped pretty short here. And so they go three and out. Pine Creek, they would go ahead and get a pretty nice return on this punt by Ramon Pacheco, the senior here. Uh, that would go ahead and put them on the 44. I want to say that would be past midfield at this point here. And, you know... On second down, Jonathan Core, the junior running back, gets a good gain of about 20-plus yards, but a couple, uh, let's just say a couple uh, runs in a row just do not go their way here. And so they eventually go ahead and kick the field goal. Um, there was a chance for them to score here. I believe Cam Cooper was aiming for his tight end, Kai Goetze, here. But it was a very physical pass breakup on third down by Termaine Shaw of Fountain for Carson. And so that would result in a field goal, making it 10-0 pretty early on here in this game. Fountain for Carson would get the ball back here on the 20 with about 7.46 left here in the first quarter. But once more, another three and out by Fountain for Carson. They try running the ball here, including a couple of Matthias Price dives here, who has been dominant uh, up to this point. And then Caleb Keats, their quarterback, on a read option, but it just does not go their way. And also an incompletion. Uh, on this play as well and so they get the second straight three and out and the second straight time here Ramon Pacheco on the punt return gets a really good return here and they take over on the 26 yard line that's how far up they are thanks to Ramon Pacheco here and so here we go 616 left let's go ahead and fast forward to second down here Jonathan Core gets handed the ball and he cuts it up field and he goes 26 yards to the house for a touchdown to give Pine Creek the early 17-0 lead with about 5.50 left in this game. Now, Fountain for Carson, they try to get something going here, and they would get a first standard, their first one of the game. Caleb Keats goes ahead and finds Keenan Campbell on the slant. That goes for a first, putting him putting them on the 34. They would eventually also get another first down, uh, this time thanks to a pass interference call that would put them on the 49. Following that, it is third and three here, Keats. He goes ahead and runs the read option, but he is tripped up here, and so that makes it fourth and five, and just like that, they go ahead and punt it once more, and it's a touchback. Pine Creek takes over on the 20. Now, they aren't able to get too much going here uh, for the rest of this first quarter. So let's go ahead and fast forward to the second quarter. It's fourth down for Pine Creek, uh, fourth and two actually. And so here's what happens. It looks like they're about to punt it, but they go ahead and call a fake to Cannon Budge. And so that would go for a first down. 
Following that, they just feed Jonathan Kaur, who goes to work here, and he really eats it up until it is about third and two here, and here's what happens. They go ahead and put Mason Miller in, but he is stacked up by Fountain for Carson. Once again, it is fourth and two. I want to say they are on the goal line inside the 10 at this point. A timeout is called at 8-14, and so here we go. Pine Creek on the goal line, fourth down. They're going to go ahead and go for this one, and they do a direct snap to Mason Miller, but he is stopped pretty short here maybe not the greatest play call but they are up 17 to 0 so they are playing with some house money here so turnover on downs but it would not end up working out for Fountain for Carson as they are pretty much backed up against their own goal line here against their own end zone here and so they attempt a toss play, which is pretty risky because the toss was not good. And so Matthias Price does get held back in the backfield and is tackled by Mason Miller, who makes up for that and gets the safety. And so just like that, Pine Creek leads 19-0 with 7.59 left. And obviously, they get the ball back. Now, they are able to go uh, down the field and, you know, have a solid drive here. But it does come down to a fourth down play. Fourth and 11 with 3.58 left. Uh, they are across midfield. And so here is what happens. Uh, Cameron Cooper evades the pressure. And he throws it deep. But it is a dropped pass here. It was on the money, but unfortunately, that would be a turnover on downs. Now, Fountain for Carson has about 349 left. Not a lot going for them here, but they do put together a nice drive, just running the ball really well between Caleb Keats um, and throwing it uh, just, you know, a little bit. Nothing crazy, but a lot of short stuff here, a lot of read options. Uh, they do have a big swing route to Terrence Morris, who gets them some yards here. Um, but it's only good enough to get them inside or pass, I would should say, uh, midfield here. And so from there, they are able to bang home a field goal. Khalid Smith uh, hitting this one from about 30 yards back, I want to say, 30, 40 yards out. And so he goes ahead and hits a field goal, making it 19-3, to and that would be the score at halftime. Fountain for Carson down. Now, Fountain for Carson would get the ball, and they would have a pretty promising drive here on 4th and 5. They run a fake that goes to Khalid Smith. Uh, he goes ahead and gets the first down, putting them on the 43. But literally right after that, they toss it to Matthias Price. And then they call a pass play, and he throws it deep. But this one is intercepted by Amari Kyle. And so Pine Creek takes over on the 26 here. And once more, they feed Jonathan Kaur. And he gets them all the way down, basically, to the goal line. Uh, there was a little bit of a controversial play, to say the least. Uh, Cameron Cooper would throw a slate to Elijah Roy. It looked like he got it, but then he got lit up and fumbled it and found it for Carson Wood, recovered that, but then they basically called that a personal foul on, I want to say, Fountain for Carson here. And... At the same time, I think they said it was an incomplete pass, not a fumble. And so that would extend that drive and give Pine Creek a lot of yards and would end with Jonathan Kaur punching it in for a touchdown. Regardless, though, I mean, he punches it in and makes it 26-3. Also hits that PAT. And at this point, it's pretty much over. I mean, Fountain for Carson would just struggle here. Jonathan Kaur continues to eat. And so the final score of this one is Pine Creek 40 
bouncing for Carson 10 here. A couple of stats to go over. Uh, Cam Cooper struggled just a little bit. Missed some easy passes, including I remember seeing him miss a screen pass. But still 6 of 14, 138 yards and a touchdown. Had that long one at the beginning there. Uh, Jonathan Core though, a big game here. 21 carries for 192 yards and 3 rushing touchdowns. Also had 2 receptions for 28 yards as it was pretty much his game and he carved up this Fountain Fort Carson defense and Fountain Fort Carson well here let's go ahead and get into let's get into some of the thoughts that I had after this game and I'll start with Fountain Fort Carson their defense was not that bad you know their uh secondary was pretty solid per usual right no big surprises there they have some edge rushers they consistently got to Cam Cooper uh, pressure-wise, you know, applying a lot of pressure there. That does contribute to some of the incomplete passes there, I will say. But I would definitely say that the offense really struggled here. I think if Colton Camba was obviously here at quarterback, you know, they would have been better off. Now, Caleb Keats, their backup, didn't do bad. He was 8 of 11 for 129 yards and a touchdown. But definitely a little bit limited here as far as passing goes. And then running the ball, I mean, only had 72 total rushing yards. Matthias Price held down to only 9 carries, 33 yards. Caleb Keats had 9 carries, 23 yards. And then the next closest player was Khalid Smith. He only had that 1 carry for 7 on that fake. And so they just struggled right now. This isn't a bad team. They have a lot of talent over there. Obviously still a playoff team, and I would even say a top-tier playoff team. But when it comes to them being considered a contender, I, I just don't see it without Colton Camba. And playing a team like Pine Creek, who we know is a contender, kind of just confirms that. So there you go there. A tough loss for Fountain for Carson, but you got to remember, they're still 5-1, and one, and that one loss is to Pine Creek. Now, Pine Creek, on the other hand, looked really impressive here offensively I mean they looked good Cam Cooper you know he had his moment at the beginning there uh Cannon Budge is gonna be an issue Mason Miller did his thing Jonathan Core really emerged and had a great game here I mean he is one of the best running backs in the state and probably a no point candidate honestly so definitely someone to look out for Elijah Roy a uh, kind of a quieter night but you know he was getting open there just wasn't quite able to connect with Cam Cooper as much plus it was a blowout so you know Pine Creek ran the ball a lot. Their defense played really well. I thought they did an excellent job stopping Matthias Price and this run game, which is hard to do. They do have a good offensive line over there, and so love to see Pine Creek doing that. But, you know, shout out to their special teams. You know, they did a really good job kicking field goals, making PATs. The field positioning by Ramon Pacheco on those first two drives, I think, were really key to put Pine Creek up by a lot. And then, you know, in the second half, they were just suffocating. They ran the football well. They played defense well. And they did their thing. Now, there was that, you know, maybe controversial play there uh, with the fumble and whatnot. But, I mean, honestly, you could have gave... You could have gave Fountain Fort Carson 21 points, and they still would have lost to Pine Creek. So that just shows how dominant they are. Pine Creek moving forward looks for real here. Now, can they do it against teams like Legend and, you know, Regis, which they will play next week? We'll just have to see. I think they should definitely be favored against Regis. Legend will be a good game, though. That's one that myself and Gino should probably be at. 
And so we'll just have to see about Pine Creek. But still, a lot of green flags for Pine Creek as they stay undefeated here at 6-0. For Fountain Fort Carson, just didn't go their way. But they're still 5-1. And, and definitely still a good team. Definitely a playoff team. But maybe not quite a contender this year without Colton Camba. And so there you go there. Like I said, final score, Pine Creek 40, Fountain Fort Carson 10. So do you want to know what the best kept secret in running back training is? It's Mad Skills RB1 training. Coach Vaz is flipping the script and leveling up running back training in Colorado by implementing his proven nationally recognized system of training. Don't be fooled by the name. Quarterbacks and receivers become fundamentally sound juke artists as well with his training. It's evident the athletes he trains love him. Each progressive training session arms the athlete with a new skill set that prepares them to be shifty, powerful, and elusive. Parents love Coach Vaz because with his training, they receive free college recruiting tips, no contracts, and no drama. Message him on Instagram at madskills underscore RB1 training or at Coach Cut Creator on Twitter X for more information. Offseason runs from January through July, so get in the cut and get some mad skills this offseason. And get into this recap with me here, continuing this trend of 5A here. I believe this is the last recap of tackle football for the week, and that is going to be my attendance of the homecoming game between Arvada West, trying to defend their homecoming, against the visiting Chatfield Chargers. So there was a really cool-looking tailgate while I was going in, and the parking lot at the NAAC was probably the most packed that it had ever been that I have seen. That being said, I do have some reservations on the concessions and whatnot later. But anyways, the Wildcats would start with the ball on their own 20, and they'd get a quick swing off to Adrian Smala here, who bursts ahead to the 29-yard line. And after another handoff that gets to the line of scrimmage, or I should say the first handoff, that gets to the line of scrimmage, another touch by number 12, that is, a face mask will actually make it a first down to the 35-yard line. They hand off to Adrian again, who picks up about five yards. But on the next play, number 47 and 10 for Chatfield. 47, of course, being one of their stud linebackers, Avery DeWeese. And then number 10, Will Lawrence, get in there and they force a tackle for a loss. On third and six, the center just doesn't snap the ball and it's a false start. And on third and 11, they pass to number 86 here for Arvada West. Sean Trender here, another sophomore who picks up quite a few yards here, um, getting them in position to the 26-yard line. They hurry up, and they try and get Chatfield to jump, but they do not jump, and they hand off for six. They do the same thing and pick up a first down to the 20-yard line. Before the beginning of the downs, DeWeese does a great job disrupting the movement, and number 33 here for Chatfield, Logan Kundred here, fills for a very short gain. A run gets stretched out and doesn't gain much. And on third and five, I do note that the snaps are coming in pretty high from the center. They do a quick pass that's a screen that doesn't really go anywhere and actually loses four yards. On fourth and nine, they line up, but then they call a timeout with six minutes and 11 seconds in the first. After the timeout, they come out and they throw a quick slant right that's not really even close to the first down, and it's a turnover on downs. But Chatfield is starting deep in their own territory here at their 10-yard line with 6 minutes and 6 seconds in the first. They do hand off to number 23, who's tripped up but still gains 4. 
Bavar having another run up the middle that gets about to the 20-ish for a first down. Jake Jones, the quarterback, gets a little skittish and the pass is incomplete. And on the second down play, the handoff is met very quickly in the backfield and very violently. And that sets up a third and 10 or third and nine. Jones sits in a clean pocket and then takes off, picking up the first down all the way to the 33-yard line. There's a deep shot left that is well contested. And then a handoff left after that that picks up six yards. And on third and four, Jones keeps. There's great blocking, and he uses nice speed to the edge and gets into Wildcat territory. On the next play, he drops back and reads, and just an instant before he can take off and try and pick up the first due to a lapse in the defense, Vincent V. Hill and Chris Rosner here do drag him down at the line of scrimmage, counting as a sack. Holding on second down does push back the Chargers into their own waters, and a quick slant is thrown left, but a flag is thrown for offensive pass interference, and this Charger drive just keeps sliding backwards. Now on second and 34, they have a quick throw left for a short gain, and this quarter is going to end 0-0. On third and 30 to start the quarter, they try a fake swing mid-screen that picks up some, but far from enough for this hole to be dug out of, and now it's punt time. Arvada West will start on their own 25-yard line, and they will hand off to number one here, Jaden Green, who waits as patiently as he can for a hole to develop, but there's just nothing there as the Chargers only yield four yards. There's another run here that's just a yard short of the first down, and on third and one, they call a QB sneak that looks far from converting, but a coach says something on the west side, and there's some laundry on the field. They call it unsportsmanlike on Chatfield. That feels questionable, but it's a first down regardless to the 50-yard line. And the high snaps finally catch up. And honestly, the ball don't lie because the ball goes over the quarterback's hands and Avery DeWeese recovers it, putting them on the 45-yard line going in. They immediately follow that up with a handoff to Corey Ball, who picks up eight yards. And on second down, they pick up another two or three yards for a first down. They have a holding penalty on the first play that sets up first and long, but Ball here shows good patience waiting to read his blocker before making a quick cut for a nice gain of five. Jake Jones keeps, but 29 blows up the play, that number 29 being Tyree Cullum for the Wildcats. Just absolutely levels the play, and Chatfield loses the ball for only a second and recover. On third and long, number eight, Colin Moat basically gets wide open for Chatfield here and turns upfield just enough for a first and just shy of the 20-yard line. Now, they do have another run that forces a timeout for Arvada West with five and a half minutes left to go in the half, and this is to try and slow down and recoup for this offensive drive that Chatfield's putting together. But, you know, after... Setting up a third and one, Jake Jones keeps it and is twisted around, but not stopped, picking up a first down and making it first and goal at the 10-yard line. Jones passes for the end zone, but the receivers are too close and it's incomplete. After an encroachment sets up second and five, they hand off to Avery DeWeese, who rumbles ahead for the score. And after the PAT, the Chargers are up seven to nothing with exactly four minutes to go. Avery DeWeese here. Not exactly the face I was expecting to see in the end zone first, but the one that I saw nonetheless with his first carry of the season and his only carry leading to a touchdown. So how about that? 
I digress here. The Wildcats here, they will start on their own 16-yard line looking to respond. But unfortunately, there's a run that is just cut short. Uh, probably should have cut inside, but it's stretched all the way out. And then a pass left that is crunched very quickly by number 24 and number 28. That is Reed Narva and Balderston, both from the junior class for Chatfield that crunched this play. Hunter, that is, Balderston. And after that, the Wildcats face third and 10, and there's a pass that ends up in the grass, and it's time to punt. But on this punt, Dagan Myers will field it, and there's no one in front of him as he goes streaming down the left sideline, and he will score a touchdown here. And, I mean, this is not the first of the unique ways that Chatfield finds to score. Now, A-West, they're already down two scores here. They do an RPO right to 86, who picks up about four yards. And then after a throw right to number 21, who is listed as Noah Muir, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, that picks up a first down. A run for none. A swing right, who gets out of bounds and sets up third and seven. And then with about 52 seconds, there's a pass left to number 17. That's Balsteri here, who picks up a first, but a high snap messes up the timing of the next play. And do a check. He hangs in there and still ends up with five yards, but A-West uses their final timeout with 31 seconds. They call a flood right, and there's an incomplete pass, setting up third and five, where they roll right and try a throwback that's incomplete. And... With fourth and five with 20 seconds, they do not convert on the fourth down, and Chaffield runs out the half, leading 14 to nothing. This is where I like to turn my attention to something else. Before the game, I stood in a concession line for nine minutes that didn't move anywhere, and eventually I had to go down to the field, and I was getting quite hangry by halftime. Now, I start heading up to the stands once I realize that Chaffield is going to run out the rest of the half, and I get in line with the entire homecoming halftime, which is about 30 minutes to go. I get in line for, I just want popcorn. I just want popcorn. And I stand in line for all of halftime. For all of halftime. And um, yeah, I ended up having to get back to the game since it was starting. However, I did stay with an eye shot of the concession line and should an opportunity have been provided with, you know, the end of a quarter, an injury timeout, a regular timeout or something like that, where the line had shortened enough to jump into it, I would have jumped into it and grabbed some food. Pretty reasonable strategy, I would say, for a line that was literally moving at like the speed of this immortal snail that's chasing after you. And uh, yeah, it got me. I physically died inside and emotionally died inside that night. But more on the non-football antics here in a bit. Let's get back to the game and out of the line here that starts with a kickoff out of bounds and Chatfield will start, um, you know, in pretty decent position. Jones here, he'll have a keeper that accelerates to the 34-yard line. And then after a handoff brings them to the 48-yard line for another first, they are just gashing them with run after run. Ball picks up another first on the Chargers going in on the 40-yard line. And then there's another handoff that picks up seven yards. On the next play, Arvada West definitely jumps off sides. 
But uh, no call and no play is ready, and Chatfield has to take a timeout with 8 minutes and 44 seconds. Now, they throw a third play-action fake screen wheel route to Roman, who, on third, I should say, they call a play-action fake screen wheel route to draw Roman, who reaches out and just reels in this pass just right into his fingertips, and he walks the tightrope to the promised land for the touchdown, putting Chatfield up 21 to nothing. Roman showing great hands, and Jones putting it in the only spot where only his receiver could make a play on the ball. The line is still not short enough to hop into, and Arvada West has the ball. So this drive kind of goes on for a really long time because, well, number 17 of A. West gets a huge sack that looks like a strip sack, but they call unnecessary roughness on it, and that actually gives Arvada West an automatic first down. Now, the refs then call a holding penalty, setting up first and long for A. West to try and cover their tail. I'm not going to lie here. is kind of what it felt like. And, yeah, uh, more on that later. But they try a pass to the flats on first down, and Dagan Myers just lights up his receiver and forces a drop in second and 20. There's a pass breakup on second down, and on third and eternity, A. West takes a timeout in, you know, there's like a play design coming in for Duacek, who throws a dot to number 17 over the middle. And that picks up a first down, but there's another flag thrown on Chatfield here for illegal use of hands, but it's declined for the first down to the 48-yard line. There was a holding call on the Cats. I was worried it was Chatfield again. That pushes them back. And then Duacek winds up and throws deep left, drawing a pass interference. Very questionable pass interference call, but a pass interference call nonetheless. And on first and five, the defense immediately recognizes the screen, and DeWeese tackles for DeLoss. Now, on second and seven, DeWeese follows that up with a sack, but a very whack, unnecessary roughness call gives A. West another chance. And it's at this point, and look, I get annoyed by fans usually going, oh, what the heck is that call? Or complaining about officiating because I don't usually think it's that bad. Or if it is, it doesn't feel crooked. This game felt crooked. Like, I don't, I can't think of a game that I've seen that's such blatantly called one way and so insanely convenient for one team. Like, I don't know, you know. I, I can't say for sure, but uh, I have my reservations about the officiating staff that really wanted to make this game about themselves, and we'll have like full exposure here in in a minute. But anyways, uh, it doesn't help Arvada West because eventually they turn over on downs. I'm not even going to go through the rest of their really meticulous and annoying drive. And so Chatfield, they have the ball with one second under four minutes in the third quarter, and after no gain, Jones keeps for a first to the 50-yard line and gets hit way late. And a flag comes way late as Jake Jones is just very frustrated trying to get up off the ground. The sideline and the players are obviously very active because their quarterback just got hit late. And the ref on the sideline throws another flag. This time, it's on the Chatfield sideline. They offset, but... 
I don't know, their quarterback just got hit late. And I don't like these refs because the way that they're talking to the players is mad disrespectful for the players of Chatfield that are genuinely so confused on what the hell is going on here. And the refs just, they were power tripping, bro. It was, I was also really hangry at this time. And I don't think that this annoying ref with refs uh, system with like a power complex was doing me any favors. But you know what? Chatfield shrugs it off and they pick up a first right along. But a holding penalty brings it back to their own 49. On first and 11, they call a gut run to the 45-yard line. And after another short run, it sets up third and short. They call a QB sneak and Jake Jones somehow pops out of the pile for a score. And he looks back and he kind of mocks the defensive player who's too slow. And that is another flag. It doesn't matter. They kick the PAT. It's 28 to nothing in a minute 13 in the third. I go to get concessions and I am, I am stopped. I am, I am stopped before I can get in line because they closed before the fourth quarter ended. I had been waiting for like 45 minutes for an opportunity to get into line to get a lousy popcorn because I was so hungry because I hadn't ate since like 9 a.m. that morning. And they close. Now, before you go and start calling me a Karen, I want everyone on the, this is a complete non-football tangent. I'll get back to Chatfield here in a second. But I worked in food service, all right? I worked at Wendy's, all right? It doesn't get much food service, much more food service than that. That is like fast food at its peak. You have a certain amount of time to get orders out. It's greasy in there. It's not great. Your skin is, you're sweaty. It's, it's terrible, okay? It's the bottom of the bottom in food service. And I was one of the only people that consistently worked in that kitchen, like full gas all the time. We know when there's a rush coming, whether it's lunch rush or dinner rush, to drop more patties, drop more fries, get ready for a lot of people to suddenly show up. I honestly could have ran that concession stand better by myself than the three people who were running it slower. Oh, and they couldn't, like, people didn't know what they wanted to order. It's a football game. They only have, like, eight things on the menu, so decide what you want. If you're in there, if you're one of the three people in there, have, like, ten nachos ready to go three minutes before halftime because as soon as halftime happens, people are going to walk in. Drop a ton of popcorn. Get a ton of bags ready. Get everything ready so you could just exchange the cash, put out the food. It's not that difficult. It's it's really not that difficult. And I felt like I was going to blow a gasket. I was annoyed because NAAC, I felt like one of the Jeffco officials approached me kind of sideways earlier in the game when I was on the field and was kind of a jerk about how they referenced the dotted lines. Like, oh, the dotted lines, that's what they're for. You're supposed to stand behind them. Okay, bro, you could just say it without being condescending first off. And then this concession stand stuff really pissed me off. And these refs were some of the most ridiculous refs that I've ever seen. But I got to go out there. I got to watch Chatty Ice do their thing. And I do go down to the field for A West's next drive here where there's a quick throw for about five yards, a throw right for a first down. They do get flagged for intentional guarding, intentional grounding that pushes them back to the 12. And then they immediately throw a pick six. So 
you know, go check out the TikTok because Chatfield was wilding. They were putting up all kinds of crazy highlights. Ben Weber, shout out him. He had the pick six and he had another interception. Chatfield here scoring three touchdowns on the ground between Deweese, Ball, and Jones. Throwing a passing touchdown to Drew Rollman, obviously. Ben Weber with the pick six and Dagan Myers with the return touchdown here. Chatfield dog walks Arvada West 42 to nothing here. Arvada West, even though a lot of these players are obviously sophomores and they have some maturing to do, uh, I just kind of expect them to be a little bit more disciplined, honestly. And I thought that Arvada West was the sloppier team, even though the penalties would have you think otherwise. I think that Chatfield was well put together. I think that they're a strong team that's going to, you know, probably get to the second or third round in the playoffs and has very high-end potential. So you guys that they played Craig, uh, Creek within a couple scores, but we'll see how they do. The next two league games should be pretty straightforward. They have Pomona and Lakewood before it heats up against Ralston Valley and Columbine to end the season. But yeah, Chatfield looking good. Arvada West looking young. And refs looking bad, concession stand looking like a complete joke. I, I told I told people I was still going to be angry about this when I was recording this segment. Literally four days have passed, and I'm still like, I've ate since then, so you can't blame it on it being hangry. It's a blaming on incompetence from the refs, stadium staff, and concession staff. I understand that they're volunteers. But holy crap, like I just said, it feels like they never worked in food before because as someone who worked in food, it's not a hard concept that when you think a bunch of people are about to get in line, that you need to be ready to go for them to show up and not start once the line starts. Also, if you're going in line at a high school football game, know what you're going to get, bro. There's like never more than 10 things on the menu. Don't stand up there picking your nose, scratching your butt, thinking about what you want to eat. Come on. (sighs) Okay, back to regular football recaps now. What is going on, everybody? Gino here with the Playmakers Corner Podcast coming at you again, this time with the Week 6 5A recaps. Now, just like 4A, it is league games getting into full swing here in 5A, so let's not waste any more time and dive right into these Thursday matchups. Starting off our Thursday games, we have Denver East clobbered North Glen 59-0. After that, we had a ranked matchup where number six, Fountain Fort Carson, lost for the first time on the year to number two, Pine Creek, 40-10. Fountain just straight up could not run the ball at all against Pine Creek's defense. Matthias Price finished with a season low 33 rush yards on nine attempts, but Price also added a 71-yard touchdown reception and that would be the only touchdown on the game for Fountain. On the Pine Creek side, Jonathan Core ran the ball all over Fountain as he finished with 192 yards and three touchdowns on 21 carries. Sophomore Aiden Vanneman had a 50-yard touchdown run as well. Simon was actually there at this game, so look out for his full recap on this one at some point in this episode. Next Thursday matchup, we had Valor Christian get a big win over the number 10 in our power rankings, Castleview, by a score of 21-3. This game was a defensive slugfest. Both QBs struggled for both teams. Derek Gordon of Castleview had his weakest showing of the season, going 12-21, of 120 yards, and two picks. For Valor, Asher Weiner went 9-16, of 59 yards, and he also had two interceptions. 
Ballard completely dismantled Castleview's run game as they would only get 40 yards on 20 carries as a team. Leading the way on defense for Valor was Moises Freeman with two interceptions and Alexander Jordan with eight tackles and a tackle for loss. On offense for Valor, Gabe Sawchuk got 67 yards and a touchdown on 18 carries. Then Asher Weiner added 51 yards and a touchdown on 13 carries. And then Chase Hanosh finished with 63 yards and a touchdown on six carries. Next game here, we have the number four in our power rankings, Littleton West dominate Pomona 42-7. to Reef Holiday had himself yet another efficient week, going 8 for 8, 90 yards and a touchdown. Josh Snyder went off too with 118 yards and three touchdowns on only seven carries. On defense for Littleton West, Drew Curtis led the way with 14 tackles, followed by James Silasan and Nico Zaharis, who both had 12 apiece. Also on defense, Ryder Williams caught a pick and Tanner Schmidt forced a fumble. Moving on now, we had Rock Canyon pull out the win over Highlands Ranch by a score of 20 to 17. Next game here, Fossil Ridge keeps it rolling with a 42-0 shutout over Boulder. Nick Hubat had a solid game with 136 yards and three touchdowns and a pick on eight of 12 passing. For receivers, Weston Stefanski had 80 yards and two receiving touchdowns on four receptions. Then you also had Markets Moser catch three passes for 46 yards and a touchdown. Running the ball, it was Jake Toshkoff leading the way with two touchdowns and 100 yards on 16 carries. On defense for Fossil Ridge, Gage Decklever had a sack and two tackles for loss. Connor Vickers had a pick six and Markets Moser caught a pick. In our second to last Thursday matchup, we had number one Cherry Creek completely dismantle Cherokee Trail 48-0. It was the Jordan Heron show as he finished with 117 yards and three first half TDs on only 10 carries. Then Brady Vodka also kept his streak of nice games going with 179 yard two touchdown performance. 31 different players recorded a tackle for Cherry Creek on defense including Aiden Napke, who didn't play much due to the score, but he finished with a tackle for loss and an interception nonetheless. There's also Damian McKeever, who caught a pick, and Exodus Johnson forced and recovered a fumble. For CT, they went with Elliot Ming again this week, as he finished with 106 yards and two picks on 9 of 20 passing. In our last game on Thursday, it was Legacy who got back on track with a 55-0 shutout win over Rangeview. No Colin Lerma for Legacy, but it was no problem for the Lightning as Tyler Madden stepped up big for a 228-yard, three-touchdown performance on 12-17 of passing, and he also ran for another touchdown to make it four total on the game for him. For receivers, Kylan Studbaker continues his great season so far with three touchdowns of his own to go with 175 yards receiving on six receptions. Tyler Anderson finished with 93 yards rushing on 15 carries, and he also had 41 yards and a touchdown receiving. On defense for Legacy, Jalen Montalago had a sack, and Isaac Lindman recovered a fumble for a touchdown. 
Let's go ahead and move right into these Friday matchups, starting off with Doherty, who got the win over Mountain Range, 33-10. to 10. After that, we had Regis Jesuit easily beat Douglas County by a score of 35-7. to 7. There aren't any stats on max preps for Regis as of the recording of this video, but Jordan Wilhelm of Douglas County didn't throw the ball very well. He went 12-28, 87 yards, and an interception but he had 63 yards and a touchdown on the ground to help make up for that, sorta. On defense, Jordan Chavez had 13 tackles and three tackles for loss. Darius Cofield Washington had 11 tackles and three tackles for loss as well. And Holden Miller caught a pick. Next game here, the number nine in our power rankings, Mountain Vista, absolutely clobbered Thunder Ridge 49 to seven. No stats here for uh, Mountain Vista, but for Thunder Ridge, Ryan Gonzalez finished with 62 yards and a touchdown on 10 carries. Next game here, Pooter got mauled by Fairview 56-0 in Beckham Kritza's return. You heard that right. Four-star QB Beckham Kritza is back in Colorado, and he didn't waste any time making his presence felt. Kritza finished going 13 for 19, 236 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. He was hitting Ben Holly all game with Holly putting up 106 yards and two touchdowns on six receptions. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Beckham Kritza and the rest of the Fairview squad play next week against Boulder. Next game here in a battle of FOCO squads, Rocky Mountain comes out on top over Fort Collins, 38-17. to then after that, Mullen took care of Horizon by a score of 34-10. to 10. It was a nice game for Koa Dietrich, who finished with 231 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick on 12-20 of 20 passing. His number one receiver on the day was Oscar Maynez III, who finished with 92 yards and a touchdown on four receptions. For special teams on Mullen, Sonny Donati returned a kick 99 yards all the way to the house, and then on defense here, Aaron Seaman caught two picks. Next game here, Chatfield dominated Arvada West by a score of 42-0. Jake Jones didn't pass the ball much this game, going 5 for 8, 72 yards and a touchdown. But his run attack alongside Corey Ball was lethal. Ball finished with 120 yards and a touchdown on 19 carries. And Jones added 94 yards and a touchdown on 8 carries. On defense, Ben Weber had two interceptions, with one being a pick six. Logan Kundred led the team with 15 tackles, and Reed Narva finished with 11 tackles and a tackle for loss. On special teams for Chatfield, Dagan Myers returned a punt 44 yards to the house. For Arvada West, four different players had multiple tackles for loss, including Jackson Pyatt, who finished with 14 tackles, 10 of them being solo, two tackles for loss, and a forced fumble. Cody was at this one, so make sure to keep your eye out for his recap at some point in this video. Moving on now, number six, Legend, completely dominated Chaparral 55-7. For Legend, all three of their running backs, those being Jaden Lawrence, Alex Martinez, and Riken Banks, all had at least one rushing touchdown. And then a newcomer also got thrown into the mix, sophomore Troy McWhorter who had 116 yards and two touchdowns on only three carries. Jane Lawrence also added two rushing touchdowns, and he also added a 36-yard receiving touchdown on top of that. 
Jeff Baca led the team in receiving yards again this week with 85 yards on three receptions. Then on defense for Legend, Nate Sandy finished with five tackles and three tackles for loss. Legend wasn't done there as Peyton Auckland on special teams had 109 punt return yards, including a 76-yarder to the house. In our next game here, Eagle Crest fell in a 39-32 thriller against the number eight in our power rankings, Grandview. It was a QB duel in this one with Liam Zarka and Joe Steiner both having huge games. For Zarka, he finished going 19 for 32, 276 yards and three touchdowns through the air, including the game winner. And then he added another 55 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Joe Steiner on Eagle Crest didn't quite match the efficiency that Zarka had, but he still put up a respectable 247 yards and three touchdowns on 14 of 33 passing. It was a mixed bag of receivers contributing for Grandview in this one. Nate Denton led the team in yards and receptions with seven and 75 respectively. And then Kyler Vaughn caught five passes, 39 yards and two touchdowns. For Eagle Crest, Xavier Waldron had two carries for 26 yards and a touchdown. Then he also added three receptions for 103 yards and a touchdown receiving. Logan Ryan caught another TD pass this week and so did Xavion Gamble as well. Next game here, Prairie View fell to Brighton in a 56-43 shootout. And then speaking of shootouts, Overland came out on top against Westminster by a score of 40-32. Next game here, we have the number five in our power rankings, Arapahoe. Absolutely crush Smoky Hill, 63-7. Five different players for Arapahoe had a, had a rushing touchdown, including Jaden Tackett, who led the team with two. Andrew Smart caught both of Michael Moynihan's passing touchdowns, finishing with three receptions for 55 yards. In our last of the 5A Week 6 matchups, we have the number three in our power rankings, Roston Valley, shut out Lakewood by a score 47-0. Logan Madden completely diced up the Lakewood defense, going 13 for 16, 244 yards, and three touchdowns before he handed the ball off to his backup, Zeke Andrews. The receiving core was led by Jackson Hansen, who caught three touchdowns on eight receptions for 139 yards. No Brady Weldon this week rushing the ball for Rawson, but that didn't stop them from putting up nearly 200 rushing yards as a team. 116 of those yards were from sophomore Ethan Sherazy, who finished with 116 yards on five carries. All right, what's good, y'all? It's Coach V. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some girls' flag football uh, here in Colorado. This would be the last week of the regular season as next week starts playoffs. I believe it's regionals first, and then the winners from regionals move on and go play in the finals, the playoffs that is going to be held at the Broncos training facility, which me and all the boys will be at all day to cover. But to start... We are still in the regular season, and so got to go up to Regis Jesuit and catch a couple teams here that we haven't got to watch a lot. Uh, most of them were new programs, and so got to watch Legend versus Chap here. 
or I should say Chaparral, just in case someone doesn't understand that. And I got to watch Chaparral a couple of weeks ago, I want to say at LPS with Gino, and you know, and they look solid. A legend, they are a first-year program, just like Chaparral, and so in this game, I mean, this was one that legend pretty much dominated, had a pretty big first half, I want to say getting about 20 points or so, and then in the second half, I mean, number 12 for legend was just making a bunch of big plays, you know, at receiver, doing her thing there. Uh, at the end of the game, I mean, Chap would get a touchdown near the end to make it 26-13, to 13, but that would be the final score as the legend takes care of them in that first slate of games. Uh, on the other field, Thunder Ridge was taking on North Glen, and Thunder Ridge dominated that game to say the least and they're a very tall team and north glenn just struggled with that and so thunder ridge pretty much won that one easily there they had a lot of red zone plays because they also got a lot of turnovers in that second half and so there you go there thunder ridge taking care of business the legend taking care of business after that they would switch thunder ridge would go ahead and play chaparral here uh it was a very close game i think at halftime it was tied at a touchdown apiece, but in the second half, Chaparral just made a, a bunch of big plays there to go ahead and win this one. A lot of touchdown players on defense uh, got a couple turnovers as well as Thunder Ridge got a little sloppy there, but Chaparral was on it. Make sure you check out our TikTok, by the way, at Playmakers Corner for those highlights and on our YouTube channel as well. Those are YouTube shorts that we post there as well, but like I said, uh, Chaparral just running away with this one. You know, improving to one on one on the day for Thunder Ridge. I mean, they were right there. It just really got away from them. Their offense kind of hurt them here a little bit, and their inexperience showed. But, you know, you got to learn from it. You got to learn from it. Uh, on the other side, Legend played North Glen, and they dominated that one. They won 22 to 0 there. Uh, shout out to the people keeping score and helping us out over there. Really appreciated that. But yeah, Legend dominated that one. Legend would then go play Thunder Ridge here. And like I said, uh, uh, like I guess the Thunder Ridge versus Chaparral game, this one was pretty close uh, at half. I want to say Legend was only up by six, but they would have a huge second half here. Uh, just, I mean, they would not allow Thunder Ridge to cross midfield. Uh, while Legend would just have touchdown drive after touchdown drive. And so they would win that one pretty handedly. Uh, Chaparral would go ahead and take care of North Glen to go ahead and improve to 2-1 and one on the season. So there you go there. A lot of impressive players on Thunder Ridge. Like I said, a lot of uh, tall players. For Chaparral, their quarterback 22 was pretty good. Number 4 for their team, I know, was a stud. And, you know, was more contained, I would say, this week here. But still had some pretty big plays. I think she had a lot more big plays against North Glen, though, more than anybody. So there you go there. For Legend, their quarterback, I want to say number 9, uh, has a little bit of a Philip Rivers throwing motion. But she could get it there. And it looked really good there. Number 12 for Legend was just absolutely dominating a receiver for them. And so love to see that. Uh, Gino and I, we did get to catch Elizabeth versus G-Dub, but that was not a close game. We got there, and number 12 for George Washington got two straight pick sixes in a row. They're kind of another team that's a little bit taller, but very athletic as well as George Washington wins over Elizabeth pretty easily. So, boom, there you go. A pretty short girls Colorado high school football recap. Next week, we'll definitely have a longer one covering playoffs. Uh, if you win... 
Well, I guess if you lose, you're not exactly out, but I want to say you have to at least be top two. Well, top two would definitely guarantee you a spot in the final, but top two, top three or so, you have to be one of the top teams in your region to make it. And so we'll have to see how it shakes out next week, but definitely a fun one. There will be multiple regional games played all over the state. I want to say LPS and potentially Regis Jesuit should be able to host. Again, we'll just have to see, but we'll be at those games as well. Then following that, we have the state championship, uh, the finals, which will be huge. That'll be a fun one. Everyone will be there. Uh, we'll have a couple college coaches going there as well, so that'll be really cool as well. And then I'm just going to say this because I didn't say it at the beginning. Hey, if you have any rosters, feel free to send it to us so that we could say these girls' uh, names when we Talk about the big plays they make. Shout out Pomona for sending us their roster. Unfortunately, was not able to catch them this week, but will be ready moving forward. Uh, they're a great team. Definitely a team that will be contending. Also, shout out Arvada West as well, giving us some names to their players. And so, if you have any information on that, feel free to send it our way so that we could be prepared to cover them here in these last two weeks of the girls' Colorado high school flag football season. Until then, we'll catch you later. What's good, y'all? It's Coach V here, and I got your power rankings for Week 6. We're past the midseason point, so uh, definitely time to start thinking a little bit about the playoff picture. But for now, we're going to continue to do the power rankings and talk about that as we go on and get closer to the end here. Just in case you don't know how the power rankings work here on the podcast, so myself, Cody, Gideon, Gino, we go 1A through 5A, and we rank teams individually, that is, uh, 1 through 10. If a team is ranked number one for any of us, they get 10 points. That's 10 points. So if we all have one team at number one, then that's 40 points. Uh, if we rank them at number two, nine, three, eight, so on and so on, and then we add up all the points there, the team with the most points is number one, second most, number two, and so on and so on. And so we'll have our personal power rankings. That's what I'll be referring to, uh, the individual ones that we made. And then we'll have our PMC or our podcast rankings, which are the ones that are the average of all the teams that we've ranked and stuff like that so there you go there just in case you don't know what it is but let's go ahead and hop into it let's go and start with 1a last week we had two teams just outside here in week six that was colorado springs christian and wiggins getting top 10 votes there and then at number 10 was Rye, number 9, North Fork, 8, Gunnison, 7, Buena Vista, 6, Meeker, 5, Strasburg, tied at 3, Banning Lewis Academy, and Ray, number 2 was Holyoke, and number 1 was Lyman. Now, this week, we have one team that is just outside, and that is Rye, dropping out of our top 10. I believe myself and Gideon gave them votes. This is what Gideon had to say about Rye, who he had at 10. He said, have continued to show that they are among the elite. The Bolts are the real deal, and Rye did get get a big win here i mean it was pretty expected uh, against uh against a team that we knew that they should have blew out and they did but you know there there are some teams that got some big wins this week and move up for gino and cody and so that did affect 
our rankings. Now, at number 10 here is Colorado Springs Christian here, who has been up and down. Last week, they dropped out of our rankings. This week, they go back into our top 10 rankings. This is what they have to say about that. Uh, well, let me say, this is what Gideon had to say about Colorado Springs Christian. He said, Rocky Ford win does nothing to move me for Colorado Springs Christian. But in all reality, these teams are all pretty close. Everything between 9 to 14 is pretty flexible. Cody had this to say about CSCS, uh, Rocky Ford week. We had at 10 last week, by the way, Colorado Springs Christian. So there you go. Gino said this about Colorado Springs Christian, who he has moving up one spot at 9. Any 44-point shutout is good in my book. They move up a spot after North Fork's lost to Buena Vista. So that does affect Geno's rankings and does affect ours just a little bit here. So there you go, Colorado Springs Christian moving back into our top 10 here at number 10. Now, number 9 is North Fork. This is what Gideon had to say about them, um, who he had at number 9 in his personal rankings. Really hung in with a very talented Buena Vista squad. Uh, Cody said this about North Fork, who he has an 8. They couldn't quite rally for the dub after starting 0-14 in the first half, but still hung in there with one of the toughest teams in 1A and don't lose this game every time they play. Gino said this about North Fork. He said they put themselves in a position to beat a very good Buena Vista team, but I still have to drop them a spot after Colorado Springs Christian won in a blowout. So there you go there. I mean, yeah, they only lost 14-0, to and I think... As far as seeding index goes, that's going to be really good for them. You know, not losing by a wider margin. And, I mean, I think uh, Gideon probably said it best, or sorry, Cody said it best here, that, you know, that is a game that they probably win maybe 5 out of 10 times. It's a little bit closer there because this was a close margin here. And so, got to feel good about North Fork. Uh, relatively good about North Fork. And so they don't move up or down compared to last week. They stay right here. Now at number 8 is Gunnison, who also stays right here. This is what Gideon had to say about them. He said, Meeker showed me more than Gunnison has for the past couple of weeks. He has Meeker ahead of Gunnison. Cody said this about Gunnison. Uh, he just said a bye week. And then Gino did not say anything about Gunnison. They did not play this week, but plenty of teams did, which moved them or excuse me, kept them right here at 8. Speaking of staying here, is also Buena Vista coming off of that 14-0 win over North Fork. They stay right here at 7. Gideon said this about Buena Vista, who he has at 4, by the way. He said they slugged it out with North Fork. The Demons keep proving that they'll make a solid playoff run. Cody said this about Buena Vista. Way to pull out another tough win and legitimize the Demons out at a home game to start the postseason. And then Gino said this about Buena Vista, who he has at 7. Buena Vista's defense proves tough against a very good North Fork offense. So there you go there. Uh, I have Buena Vista moving up one spot. That is a good win. I have to agree. They're a quality win. And, you know, the more wins, uh, more quality wins that they stack here. Like Cody said, the better chance they have at getting to play at home once the postseason comes around. So there you go. Now, at number six, moving down just one spot, though, is Strasburg. Uh, this is what Gideon had to say. Uh, who he has at seven, he said, crushed Clear Creek. But that was expected, and from what I saw when I tuned in, Clear Creek was hanging in decently while physically. Uh, didn't show on the box score, but they were punching back when they could. Cody said this about Strasburg. Strasburg should remain solid here at six. 
Gino has Strasburg uh, moving up one spot. Uh, who has a four? You said they move up a spot with Rays lost to Holyoke. For me, I think Strasburg pretty much stays in the exact same spot. Um, but they do move down one spot. I think Gideon moved them down one spot here, if I'm not mistaken. So there you go there. I mean, th their schedule is not going to be super difficult down the stretch here. They should really sweep their league here. And so, I mean, every game should be a blowout from here on out. And that might hurt their power rankings, but they'll probably stay in the same kind of spot here from here on out to the end of the season. So, boom, there you go there. Now, a little bit of movement here. At number five now is Ray, who does drop two spots here. Gideon had this to say about Ray, who he dropped one spot uh, in his personal rankings. Lost big to Holyoke. I expect the Eagles to hang in more than they did. Cody said this about Ray, the Eagles could not fly with the Dragons and have some soul-searching to do in league, but have learned from losses before. Gino said this about Ray, they didn't put up much of a fight against Holyoke, so I am pretty concerned on their outlook against the top teams in 1A. They have a chance to prove me wrong next week against Lyman. Yeah, uh, so they got blown out basically by Holyoke. And that was not close, and I don't think any of us expected that to be a blowout either. It just kind of happened, and so they do move down a couple spots here. And look, it, like I think Cody said, it could have been a fluke, right? It definitely could have been a fluke. They could learn from it, still get better as the regular season goes on, as the playoffs go on. <sighs> but just as signs go, I, I don't know what happened there. I, I don't, but it just kind of got away from them. And so if they play a second time, I think that'll be really interesting here. They should probably have a better chance of winning. But you should have had, a, I don't know, you should have lost at least by a smaller margin here. Or maybe even one. So there you go there. But Ray moves down two spots uh, out just outside the top three here now. Now, moving up to is Meeker, who's at number four. Gideon had this to say about Meeker. I know this will be controversial, but Meeker did destroy a team that was pretty highly regarded. Cody said this about Meeker. I think their overwhelming victory against Cedar Ridge and their strength of schedule is good enough to put them here at three. Gino said this. I don't think Ray will do as good as Meeker did against Lyman, so I'm moving he Meeker ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, Meeker has been solid all year. We know what they are. They're pretty big up front, have a good front seven. They have some good running backs over there. Clay Crawford doing his thing. Yeah, I mean, Meeker, I think, is low-key, has been a little bit slept on this entire season. I mean, they've been top 10 this whole season for the most part, but now they move into the top five. Things are getting a little serious here, so there you go. Now, our top three stays the same. At number three is Banning Lewis Academy, but they aren't tied with Ray anymore, so there you go. They're at three alone. And number two, obviously, is Holyoke, and number one is Lyman. Let's go ahead and talk about Banning Lewis here. Uh, Gideon said this blank to Payton squad that isn't half bad. Cody said this, not going to move the Stallions for another shutout win and one that's kind of a cross-town thing. Not technically cross-town, they're next to each other town-wise. Uh, Gino said this about Banning Lewis, they are one of the few teams that may have an actual shot at beating Lyman this year. So there you go, that's Banning Lewis Academy. I still have them, or sorry, I moved them up one spot ahead 
of, uh, well, Meeker and Banning Lewis moved ahead in front of Ray for me in my personal ranking. So that's where they stand. Yeah, Banning Lewis Academy, I mean, undefeated. I think this is the best start they've had in program history, which isn't long. They've been around for like four or five years, uh, but 6-0, and I want to say. And their next game, they don't play a game next week, but they play Colorado Springs Christian. That's going to be a huge game. I think legitimately they really need to win this game to make playoffs because the Chassa seeding index is doing them dirty, plain and simple. They are ranked way outside the top 10. They have been all season. And so Chassa, I think, is just really inaccurate. But then again, they ranked CSCS really low last year. And then they went to the semis against the Wyman where they lost, right? So I think... Banning Lewis Academy is in a great spot here. Payton is not that bad of a team. They're a solid squad over there. And so having them here at three, Banning Lewis, that is, is good for them. Now at two is Holyoke. I think the only reason they don't move up is because Lyman is at number one. This is what the boys had to say here. Gideon said the Dragons proved that they are not here to play as they destroyed Ray. This is a likely rematch come playoff time. So Holyoke got their licks in. Cody said this, beating Ray is one thing, dominating Ray, absolutely number two, no question for me at this point. Gino said this about Holyoke, very, very nice win over Ray. This two seed seems like it could be locked up for the year. Yeah, unless they lose here, like just kind of out of nowhere, Holyoke will definitely stay here at two. Same with Lyman here at one, who did not play this week, so the boys Really did not have too much to say here. Or sorry, they did play this week. They played Burlington. Um, Cody just said beating up on a Burlington team is a nice rollout to league. Gideon said squash Burlington and stopped any hopes of the Cats making the playoffs. I swear if they make it again while going 2-7, and seven, something is seriously wrong. But good job by Lyman dropping 50 on them. Yeah, um... I'm not going to say anything about Burlington. I think that will be disrespectful there. Yeah, I mean, unless... Lyman loses to Ray. I'm pretty sure most of these power rankings should stay the same from here on out, but we'll see. Maybe Banning Lewis moves up or down depending on the Colorado Springs Christian uh, game. So we'll just have to see what happens there. But to recap, just outside getting votes is Riot number or at technically at 11 here, just outside our top 10. At 10 is Colorado Springs Christian, 9 North Fork, 8 Gunnison, 7 Buena Vista, 6 Strasburg, 5 Ray, 4 Meeker, 3 Banning Lewis Academy, 2 Holyoke, and at number 1 is Lyman still. Let's go ahead and move on to 2A here, where it's been mostly the same, I would say, except for the back end. But let's go ahead and talk about last week's power rankings. Just outside was Wellington here getting top 10 votes. At 10, Eden. 9, Arvada. 8, University. 7, TCA. 6, Rifle. Tied for 4th was La Hunta and Basalt. 3, Elizabeth. 2, Berthen. And at number 1 was Delta. Now, we have no teams just outside our top 10, which is the interesting part here. But we have two teams tied for number 10. And there are teams that were previously unranked. And that is Kent, Denver, and Wellington here. 
All right, let's go ahead and start with uh, Kent Denver. This is what Gideon had to say about them, who he has at 10. Or actually, before I do that, he has teams that are just out in Arvada, Eden, and Rush. He said, Eden, same as before. Arvada lost Rush. Rush is playoff bound, but not top 10. So there you go there. Now, at number 10 for Gideon is Kent Denver. This is what he had to say about them. Despite an absence of stats, Kent Denver keeps proving that they are a team to be respected. Cody uh, did not have Kent Denver in his top 10, but he did have Wellington in his top 10, so I'll just say this. The Eagles remain undefeated and make it look easy. Gino said this about Kent Denver, who he has in his top 10. A very impressive win over Denver West and an Alvarado loss pushes Kent Denver into my top 10 this week. He also has Wellington just outside here. Um, Gideon has Wellington now moved up at 9. He says this, one of six undefeated teams left. The other five are on this top 10 list. So there you go there. Kent Denver and Wellington tied for 10th there. Um, I have Kent Denver now at 10. Wellington, to me, just hasn't played a strong schedule, so I, I just can't put them in their top in the top 10. I know they're undefeated, but, uh, but that strength of schedule just does not impress me right now. Can Denver, I like their schedule a lot more here, and so there you go there. Can Denver is up here. I did say this when I did their season preview that they are very underrated and that they could make some noise, and, you know, they blasted Denver West. So there you go, um, which isn't saying a lot. I mean, this happened last year, and I told the guys on the podcast that it would probably happen this year as well. But to see that consistency, always a good thing. This league is going to be tough. They have uh, Elizabeth, Englewood, and TCA. We'll see how that shakes up moving forward. Moving on, though, we have Eden, who moves up one spot here. This is what the boys had to say. Cody said this about Eden. He said, Dominant start over Steamboat to start league. Gino said, Eden is starting to roll here with a blowout win over Steamboat. Uh, with Berthid coming up here in a couple weeks, they're going to need all the momentum they can get. And then I also have Eden here at 9. Yeah, I mean, obviously a tough start to the season. Played a lot of tough teams in TCA, University, who are both ranked just ahead of them here. I think if they play a second time near the end, now that the team is a little bit more established and put together, things could be different for these Eden Reds. But for now, they are right here at 9 and could potentially climb, like I said, or like uh, I guess Gino said, with a potential win over Berthoud. But that is a couple weeks out, so there you go. Now, TCA does move down one spot here. They are at 8. This is what Cody had to say about them. Kind of weird to let Alameda score, but I won't be too hung up on it. <laughs> Gino said this about TCA. Alameda is a team you should be blowing out as a top 10 team. Gideon said this. Beat Alameda, but this doesn't do much for me as universities win over Timnith. Um, I think TCA just stays in the same spot for me. I don't really have much to say about them. Let's move on to University, who moves up one spot here ahead of TCA. Um, Gideon said this did really well against uh, upstart Timnith. Cody said this about TCA, who he has at six, or sorry, uh, University, uh, who he has at eight. He said the dogs got a nice dub over Timnith and navigated it well. Gino said this about University, very solid win over Timnith. Uh, I don't think I have University moving up or down. Uh, Timnith is a team that 
they should probably be winning and blowing out. So there you go there. Moving on, Rifle. Well, actually, the next couple of teams all stay the same. Our top six is the same as last week here, except I think there's one team that's not tied or two teams that aren't tied at four. Uh, so I'm just going to go down the line and say it here. At six is Rifle, five, La Hunta. Four, Basalt. Three, Elizabeth. Two, Birthday. Number one is Delta. I'm not going to say a team moved up or down if they were tied at four and now they're at five because that's, I mean, they were basically already at five. So there you go there. But that basically stays the same. Uh, this is what Cody has to say about those teams here, starting with Rifle. He said, Homecoming treated the Bears well, beating Moffitt County by mo multiple scores. He said this about La Hanta, over 300 yards of rushing and an explosive second half to pull away, keeps La Hanta on the up. Uh, he said this about Basalt, undefeated Longhorns take care of business over Grand Valley. Uh, about Elizabeth here. He, he has a two, by the way. He said, hard-nosed defense and a big play offense. Kept the cards in great position down the stretch as they blew out Anglewood. Cody was at that game, so there you go there. At number two is Berthed. He says this about Berthed. Who he has at number three? He said, 30-plus point win over Fort Lupton. Ain't a bad Friday night. And then at number one is Delta. He said this. The Panthers survived a scare against Pagosa Springs, but remain undefeated at the top. This is what Gino had to say about the top six here, starting with Rifle. He says, putting up 42 points on a good Moffat County squad is a great sign for the Bears. Next week against Basalt has some serious playoff implications. And what he does mean by that is because Basalt is currently ranked number one by Chasta. So there you go. Um, at number five is La Hunter, who he has at five as well. La Hunter remains unscathed this season and could very well go into the playoffs with no losses there. At number four is Basalt. He said they have a real test coming up against Rifle. And that game will tell us a lot about both squads there. Um, at number three is Elizabeth. He said manhandling Englewood like that is more than enough to maintain Elizabeth's top three rankings. At two is Birthed. He said this 17 points is the most they've given up all season. They could grab that one spot year's end by year's end if they continue the path they're on. And then with Delta, he said Pagosa Springs isn't a bad team, but they showed that Delta can definitely be beaten this year. So there you go there. Moving on to Gideon, this is what he had to say about the top six at Rifle. He said, uh, showed out against Moffat County, a perennial playoff contender. At number five is La Hunta here. He didn't have anything to say about them. Uh, for Basalt, he said this continues to show dominance and win over Grand Valley. Uh, three, Elizabeth couldn't be stopped in a win over Englewood. Now, this is where things get interesting. He has still, or I think it's been this way, so I guess it's not that, or no, it hasn't been this way. He moves Delta down to two in his personal rankings, but Delta is still number one. So let me talk about Berthed real quick. He said Berthed uh, destroyed a quality for Lupton team. And then with Delta, he said sweet. Squeak past the Pagosa Springs uh, team that should be in the playoffs. However, it was only a one-score win. And with injury concerns, I feel the Panthers just barely are at number two there. All right. Um, my rankings, I think top six basically stays the same. I don't have too much more to add here. I will say this about Delta. A little bit of a scare against Pagosa Springs. But I'm not going to move down a team that's still undefeated here. Uh, really, I mean, all these six teams are undefeated. So it's going to be interesting because moving forward here, I don't, well, actually, now that I think about it, I don't think there's any way for all six to be undefeated. There is a way for five, the top five, to be undefeated going into 
the uh, into the playoffs, which just shows how dominant teams from all over the state are here in 2A. But we'll just have to see what happens as we move forward. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about 3A. Last week was a little crazy. Uh, just outside the top 10 getting votes was Riverdale Ridge. At 10, Thompson Valley. Tied at 8 was Pueblo Central and Northridge. 7, Resurrection Christian. 6, North F- Northfield. 5, Durango. 4, Holy Family. 3, Lutheran. 2, Green Mountain. And at number 1 was Roosevelt. This week, um, pretty much everything except for 2 stay the same here. Um... Riverdale Ridge getting more votes, but they are just out here at 11. They got four points here, so that's uh, their votes. Gideon has them moved, moving up here at 9. He's at blanked Sierra by over 30, so there you go there. I uh, think Cody has uh, Riverdale Ridge at 9 as well. He's a shutout win over Sierra. Doesn't mean anything, but they stay here at 9. And then Gino has Riverdale Ridge just outside, so there you go there. Thompson Valley stays right here at 10. Uh, Gideon has Thompson Valley just outside. He he said this, Thompson Valley is really good, but I can't justify putting them in the top 10 when I have Riverdale Ridge near the bottom and the Ravens doubled up on them. Summit is showing real fight right now as well, so I wouldn't remiss if I didn't show them a little love. He has Thompson Valley and uh, Summit just outside. Cody has Thompson Valley here. He said, they kind of let Niwot hang around too long, but still get the win and retain their spot. Gino said this about Thompson Valley. Very nice win over Niwot. It's going to take some bad losses from the team ahead of them and some more blowout wins for Thompson Valley to move up in my rankings, though. Yeah, same for me. Thompson Valley stays where they were at last week. So there you go. Tied at 8 still here is Pueblo Central and Northridge. Uh, this is what the boys had to say about them. Uh, well, Pueblo Central didn't play, I guess, and I don't think Northridge played, so there's not a lot of movement there. Um, yeah, I don't think the boys had anything to say about them, so that pretty much stays the same. So there you go. Northfield does move down one spot, even though they only lost to Vista Ridge by a score. Um, but this is what the boys had to say about Northfield. Gideon said lost, but just barely. To Vista Ridge. Cody said this. It might seem harsh to drop the Nighthawks. But to be a truly great team for the playoffs. You need to close the door games like this. And they just didn't. This team is still good. But I'm just not sure how far into the postseason good they are. I think Cody might be the reason that they are dropping here. As everyone pretty much has Northfield at the same spot here. Uh, oh, Gino moved them down one spot. He said this. I don't I don't love that loss to Vista Ridge, but it was against a 4 squad, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and only drop them one spot here. Uh, Northfield, for me, stays right here at 10. It's more, it's more disappointing for Vista Ridge to be not blowing them out than anything, I would say. So, it doesn't really change my opinion. In fact, it probably gives me more of a positive opinion about them, personally. Moving up ahead of them is Resurrection Christian. Gino said this, a 60-point blowout and a Northfield loss moves Res up uh, a spot this week. We're going to see what they are really made of next week against Roosevelt and the week after that against Severance. Cody said this about um, Rez. He said 60 points. Nice. 
Gideon said this about Res just dropped 60 on Sand Creek. Yeah, that's one that they should have done, and they did, so there you go there. Our top five stays the same here from here on out, though. Five Durango, four Holy Family, three Lutheran, two Green Mountain, one Roosevelt. So I'm just going to say what all the boys had to say about them. Um, Roosevelt and Durango and Lutheran, I think, didn't play. So this is what Gideon had to say about Holy Family and Green Mountain. Crushed Conifer in the Lobos house. Uh, that's what he said about Holy Family there. About Green Mountain, he said this destroyed Mead, who is on the cusp of the playoffs. Uh, Cody said this about Green Mountain bludgeoned a mean Mead program. Then about Holy Family waxed Conifer on the road. Gino said this about Green Mountain. Gino, uh, <laughs> he said this Green Mountain is scary. And that's it. Holy Family, he said this. They get back on track with a win over Confer. They're giving up a lot of points this year, though, so I'm a bit skeptical in their ability to beat Lutheran next week. That's going to be a big-time matchup, and hopefully we'll be sending someone there. So there you go there. Uh, and then, like I said, a lot of 3A teams did not play this week, so our power rankings pretty much stays the same. But here's what they are after week six riverdale ridge right here just outside at 10 thompson valley tied at eight pueblo central and northridge at seven northfield at six resurrection christian at five durango four holy family three lutheran two green mountain and number one still is roosevelt there so there you go there not much movement there in 3a a part of it because a lot of teams were on buys but let's go ahead and go on to 4a where it feels like there is movement pretty much every single week of the season here um there has not been a week in 4a that has not seen at least six to seven movements so Let's go ahead and talk about last week. Just outside was Fruita Monument here getting top 10 votes. Tied at 9, though, was Ponderosa and Thomas Jefferson. 8, Loveland. 7, Dakota Ridge. 6, Broomfield. 5, Pueblo West. 4, Montrose. 3, Heritage. 2, Erie. And at number 1 is Palmer Ridge. So, there you go. Now, just outside right now is Dakota Ridge here, uh, basically at 11. This is what... Well, I don't think anyone had Dakota Ridge ranked. Or, sorry, Gideon had Dakota Ridge ranked at 8. He said this, lost big to Broomfield. This is not a loss you want right now, and this will really hurt the Eagles come playoffs uh, because they were ranked at 8. Um, that's the three points that Dakota Ridge got here. So there you go there, but they are just outside our top 10. Nobody else had Dakota Ridge in their top 10. Um, now, at 10, though, is Mace Ridge, who's coming up here from unranked. Was previously here near the beginning of the season. Now they're back. Uh, Gideon has them at 10. He said Mace Ridge comes back with, in with a win over Pueblo West. It was between them and Golden, but it's tough leaving out a team that beat Pueblo West as they did uh, in a close one. So there you go there. Cody has Mace Ridge at 7. He said the Grizzlies ran crazy over the Cyclones and held off a desperate last attempt to secure their W. Solison Jones for 300 is tough. Gino said this about Mesa Ridge, who he has a 10. That run attack is amazing. If Bryce Real can start balling out, then this offense is going to be even better than they are predicted to start this year. Uh, I have Mesa Ridge right here at 10. Yeah, I mean, we knew they could run the ball. That's not lost on anybody. Bryce Real, he has to take a step forward. Compared to last year, he is pretty much the same. Um, so we'll see, I guess. But at this point, I would say the bottom half of... The bottom, maybe eight part, yeah, pretty much the bottom eight of this top ten is almost all at the same level at this point. So there you go there. But Mace Ridge is right there at ten. Now at number nine is Ponderosa, who stays right here. This is what the boys had to say about Pondo. Gino said this. 
it's been a roller coaster of a season for Ponderosa, but beating Denver South the way they did makes me think of the Mustangs still have a pulse and a strong one at that. Cody said this about Pondo. The Mustangs took the LaFraude ac- accusation seriously and responded to turn in turn with 21 points in the opening quarter in a game that never got any closer. Gideon said this about Pondo. He did not say anything. He has them outside his top 10. So there you go there. Now, moving up here for the first time in our top 10 rankings is Fuda Monument, who is now at 8. Gideon has Fuda at 6. He said this. The downsides of not having someone on the Western Slope is we're not really familiar with what's what and who's the real deal. And the Wildcats are a good example of it. If Fruita Monument is rolling, I feel solid about them right now. The only real test left is Broomfield. Cody said this about Fruita. Their losses against their losses against good teams. Their wins dominant. And the last one with a crazy fourth quarter comeback has Fruita looking real dangerous right now. Gino said this about Fuda, who has a 9. Fuda is going to be a problem with the playoffs. Securing the dub against Heritage is plenty of reason to slide them into the top 10. Yeah, and I have Fuda Monument right here at 9 here. I mean, look, uh, we know what they do. And I do. I know their players, obviously, having done their season preview here. But they've done a lot of growing in season, which I think is important to remember. It's hard to project them before. We knew they had a couple pieces, uh, but really just kind of tapered off at the end of last season, even though you know they did struggle with some injuries this season. A lot of those guys that were playing at the end of last season were there, and it looked a lot of the same here to start, but they've gotten better winning against Heritage the way they did is big time here. So maybe they're here to play we will just have to see. Now, at number 10 is Pueblo West, who moves down two spots here compared to last week. Gino said this, I'm concerned about Pueblo West's ability to stop the top-running teams like Montrose or TJ after looking at what Mesa Ridge did to them. Cody said this about P. West, only going to slide them below who they lost to in a very back-and-forth game between two quality teams that may see each other again later. Gideon said this about P. West, lost to a team I underestimated in Mace Ridge. Yeah, I still feel like this should have been a game that Pueblo West won. But, I mean, whenever a score gets over 30 points, God blame the defense. You can't allow 30 and, uh, you know, expect to win. That's just not how that works. So, there you go there. Uh, It was a close game, though. It wasn't a blowout, but... You gotta tune up here. You got a plenty of great running teams. Pretty much all the top 10 teams here are great running teams. I mean, Mesa Ridge, Pondo could run the ball, Fruita could run the ball. Uh, you know, everyone else in the top six could run the ball pretty well. Heritage maybe is the one exception here that won't run the ball as well as some of these other teams, but they could pass the ball. So there is that. So. Yeah, we'll just have to see. Now, moving up here is Thomas Jefferson, who's at number six as they continue to rise. Gideon said this about TJ. This feels weird, but the Spartans are rolling like crazy right now. Impossible not to feel optimistic about them. One of the only two undefeated teams left here in 4A. Cody said this about TJ. Surprised? I am. After some staff changes in the offseason, the Spartans have used their weapons to the maximum potential and are undefeated heading into league. Gino says this about TJ. TJ could very well be a top five team by the end of the year. He has them at six, by the way. From what I've seen, there isn't one team in 4A that would want to match up with TJ come playoff time. Uh, I have TJ right here at 
I think they move up two spots for me uh, here at eight. Yeah, they're tough. That defense is pretty for real there. Then on offense, I mean, they're using everyone they have. They don't have a quarterback really still. Pretty much just a bunch of running backs, but they're making the most work there. You got to look out for them at this point. They have to be on people's radars, and I think they are. Now, at number five here is Heritage. So still a top five team, but moving down two spots. Um, this is what everyone has to say about them. Gino says this. They are hanging on to this top five seed by a thread as Heritage now has three losses on the year and TJ remains undefeated. So they are looming. Um, Cody said this third game was really back and forth and boy did they do the most to pull ahead with a 17 point third quarter. But this defense makes me uneasy on their ability to help this team reach a chip. Uh, getting into this about Heritage here, who he is at nine now. He said this. They may seem like this may seem like an overreaction, but a loss to Fruta right now is going to really hurt Heritage. The Eagles have Stanley Lake and Broomfield left. The worst they do is two and two, uh, but they are already at three and three. Going five hundred is a real risk for Heritage. I have Heritage moving down a couple of spots here. Um, look, Fruta Monument is not that bad a team. I never really thought they were. But it is concerning. I mean, Fruta came back and won that one. Defensively, you literally cannot allow that to happen. That is unacceptable. And so I put that loss on the defense easily. Offensively, I I don't know what else you want from them. But defensively, you need to do better. And they will, I think, come playoff time. Now, at number four is Broomfield, who does move up a couple spots. Gino said this about Broomfield. They move back into the top four after a heritage loss. Still not super confident on Broomfield as a whole, though. Cody said this about Broomfield. The Eagles win the Battle of the Birds. Showed me enough to put them into my top five and take them a little bit more seriously. Getting in said this about Broomfield here, who he has a four. Beat Dakota Ridge by 28, who I thought were much better. Yeah, I mean, that's a good win for Broomfield. Definitely had them favored in that one. But to win big is definitely huge here. At number three here is Montrose, who moves up one spot here. Gino said this move, or sorry, more and more teams are showing weaknesses to the run. And that only means good things for Montrose. Cody said this about Montrose. Westside dub and a loss in front of them makes the Red Hawks top three Again, Gideon said this about Montrose, the only one of my three to six ranked teams from last week that didn't lose. So there you go there. Now at number two and one for like the third straight week here, maybe fourth straight week, is Palmer Ridge and Erie here staying there at two and one. Uh, Palmer Ridge being at one, this is what the boys had to say. Gideon said this about Erie, beat Loveland pretty bad, but I have kind of given up on Loveland to BH. TBH uh, about Palmer Ridge. He said demolished Rampart. Cody said this about Erie. The Tigers break a losing streak to the Red Wolves in a dominant fashion. Said this about Palmer Ridge. Rampart as of last week was a winning team. So saw another solid-ish win. Gino said this about Erie. They score. The score against Loveland looks better. How it actually went. Barnett and the Tigers actually, or sorry, Barnett and the Tigers absolutely stomped Loveland. And then about Palmer Ridge, he just said still number one. And then, yeah, for me, uh, it's all the same. I think our top four here on the podcast are all the same. Palmer Ridge at one, Area two, Montrose at three, Broomfield at four. So there you go there. Uh, Palmer Ridge, Erie, 
it looks like they're on a crash course. That is all I'm going to say about that. Now to recap our power rankings here for 4A, just outside Dakota Ridge, 10 Mesa Ridge, 9 Ponderosa, 8 Fruita Monument, 7 Pueblo West, 6 Thomas Jefferson, 5 Heritage, 4 Broomfield, 3 Montrose, 2 Erie, and at number 1 still is Palmer Ridge. Moving on to 5A. Oh, we got some movement in 5A probably... Well, maybe not the most, but definitely more than there has been the last couple weeks here. I think week one or two were, uh, and week three were where the most movement was. But let's go ahead and talk about our rankings from last week here. Uh, just outside getting votes was Regis Jesuit and Chatfield. At 10 was Castleview, 9 Mountain Vista, 8 Grandview. Tied at 6 was Fountain, 4 Carson and Legend, 5 Arapaho, 4 Littleton West. 3 Ralston Valley, 2 Pine Creek, and number 1 was Cherry Creek. Now, this week, things are interesting. Uh, just outside right now is Chatfield, still getting top 10 votes here. Uh, this is what Cody had to say. Or just kidding. This is what Gideon had to say about Chatfield, who he has at 9. Uh, the rest of us uh, have dropped Chatfield outside of top 10, but Gideon said this. The Chargers demolished one of the better young cores in the state. Feeling good about the Chargers. They beat Arvada West. They blew out Arvada West. So there you go. Uh, all of us, though, have dropped Chatfield. And it's not because of Chatfield. It's because of these teams here ahead of them. Tied at 10 here is Regis Jesuit and Fairview. Let's talk about it. So, Gideon. He has Regis Jesuit at 10. He said they still don't trust the offense, but Regis is back to their winning ways. Um, he says this about Fairview, He has who he has just outside his top 10. The only one to have him just outside the top 10 for now. He said this, Beckham Kritza is back. The taste of Valor still stays Fairview for me. Um, but the thought of Kritza helming the ship is intriguing. Cody has Fairview at 10 in his personal rankings. He says this, now, this is where things get wild. Fairview has Beckham Kritza back? Hearing the news, I did not care who they beat this weekend. I just knew this was a top 10 team, but I will wait to skyrocket them more until they beat better teams or teams in front of them lose. So, there you go there. At number 9, he has Regis Jesuit. He said there's some losses in front of them. Means the Raiders slide back in. And also, and thanks to uh, a demonstrative win over Douglas County. Gino said this about Fairview. Beckham Kritza is back, so Fairview stock is through the roof. Uh, and then he has Regis just outside here. Uh, for me here, I, I don't have Regis inside my top 10. But I have Fairview in my top 10. Oh my goodness. I, I did not think, I'm just going to be honest. I did not think that Beckham Kritza would come back. But in case you don't remember who Beckham Kritza was, he balled out his freshman year, moved to California after that, was at Miami Central, a top five team in the country, by the way, to start the year. Now he's back at Fairview. They say he was at Fairview the last three weeks, which does, I mean, it does uh, measure up to when he last played for Miami Central, I will say that. And so here he is uh, in his first start against Pooter, and they absolutely kill them. So this isn't like... I wouldn't put too much stock in it. Oh, whether he played well or bad. I mean, he's good regardless. So there you go there. Beckham Kritza is the best quarterback in Colorado now. I will say this. 
Austin Bedreski, I think, is really close, but I've liked Beckham Kritza better. I've liked the development there better. And this makes Fairview dangerous. This is a gigantic upgrade. Uh, and this is no shade, but it is a gigantic upgrade over Rowan Reisner. And there is a reason why Kritza pretty much took over as soon as he could here. Um, and they still have a backup in Rowan just in case. But Beckham, I mean, that's just a game changer. You can't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty speechless here. I'm glad he's back here. We're sending someone immediately to this next game over at Boulder that they'll be playing, which, I mean, they're already going to destroy. This is just going to be even more foul. What makes it more interesting is that the first game we ever saw as a podcast and covered as a podcast was Beckham Kritz's first game against Boulder all those years ago. Now Beckham's back, so we you already know we're sending someone to that game this next week. We got to. And so for Fairview, I don't know if they move up too much because of their teams and the league. Uh, I'm talking about the teams in their league, which is just weaker, honestly. But this is a team that's dangerous. Don't get it twisted. This is a team that could score on you in a heartbeat. If you need a touchdown in the last two minutes, they could do it. You know, Beckham Kritza, he's a killer straight up at quarterback. And you should be afraid of this Fairview team. Uh, with all the players they had, they've been on that cusp here. I think he really puts them over the top. But because of where they started and the loss of Valor and their league, it kind of is what it is. But don't sleep on them. And then Reach's Jesuit. Uh, they're a team that I really struggled to drop, drop outside my top 10. I will say that. But I had to to move up Fairview. So there you go there. Regis is a team that's not going to have the best looking record. But I will say this. They have a lot of talent over there. Uh, defensively, I think they're very good. Very solid there. Offensively, Medina, you know he's going to do his thing. But you got to look at Peyton Liddell and the passing game here. And the receivers. We'll just have to see what happens, you know. Um, they're a very dangerous team. Definitely a dark horse team, I will say. It depends the day, but they could beat a lot of the top teams. Moving on here, though, we have Fountain for Carson, who is now at 9. They drop 3 spots. This is what Gino had to say about them. They got exposed against Pine Creek. Fountain is still a playoff team, but they definitely have a ceiling without being able to pass the ball. <sighs> there you go there. Cody uh, does not have Fountain Fort Carson in his top 10. And then Gideon does not have Fountain Fort Carson in his top 10. I have them in my top 10 here. I have them right here at 7, moving down like 4 spots. Yeah, I mean, look, they're still a playoff team. I still think they're a top 10 team at that. But there is a ceiling there. I was very concerned with uh, the passing game. It's just not as dynamic. It's not as dynamic as it would have been with Colts and Camba. Quarterback didn't play bad. Only had like three or four incompletions. But that still wasn't enough. And they got they still got blown out by Pine Creek. You know, which says a lot about Pine Creek as well. But I don't know. Fountain Fort Carson doesn't have a bad team. They still got a lot of good players. The defense is uh, really good. Uh, Secondary is good. They have a lot of edge rushers who did get a lot of pressure on Cameron Cooper of Pine Creek. So there's that. Offensively, I mean, you have your line. You have Keenan Campbell, who's a stud there. Uh, Keats is not a bad quarterback. So there you go. Matthias Price is a solid player, but he kind of got bottled up there. And I think people are going to look at that as the blueprint moving forward to beating them. <sighs> We'll see. They're, they're, I think them here at number 9 is pretty appropriate. 
Now, moving up one spot is Mountain Vista here at eight. This is what Gideon had to say about them. The Golden Eagles are playing like the big boys and blowing out the teams that are closer to their level. Hope that they continue this trend. Cody said this about Mountain Vista. The Eagles finally got the monkey, or in this case, Grizzly, off their back by beating Thunder Ridge and don't choke away this time showing maturity and growth in a blowout win. Gino said this, they've completely dismantled Thunder Ridge. It will be interesting to see how they do in their league game against Castleview, Valor, and Rock Canyon. Yeah, they got some big games ahead of them there. So there you go. Mountain Vista, for me, stays right here at three. Um, I had them beating Thunder Ridge. I thought they should have beat them last year. Without DJ Bordeaux at starting at quarterback, that should have probably been a blowout. Uh, this year was probably what what should have happened last year, and so that's a good win for them. Um, there you go. There, it's a mental block that is out of the way, which I think is still important. But moving up here is Grandview, who's here at seven. This is what Gino had to say about them. The Wolves get a scary win against Eagle Crest in their homecoming game. Next week versus Arapaho is going to be a show. Gino, the uh, Grandview alum, saying that about his old school. Cody saying this. Cody says this, excuse me, about Grandview. The Wolves survive a rowdy second half from the Raptors, aided by a full-game performance, but need to lick their wounds and suit up for the rest of the league as they now play Cody's alma mater here. Uh, Cody alma mater versus Gino alma mater matchup next week. Gideon says this, close win over Eagle Crest hurts them, but not by much. Still feeling good about the Wolves. Just not great. So, there you go there. Uh, I have Grandview here moving up one spot, actually. I think Eagle Crest is a good team. They've been a team on the cusp for me for a minute here. Uh, and they're probably going to upset a squad. We'll just have to see there. A second matchup between these two teams could get a little interesting, is all I'm going to say. So, there you go. Moving up here. Uh, well, actually, tied for fifth is Arapo and Legend. Legend moves up one spot. Arapo pretty much just stays here. Uh, let's talk about it, though. This is what Gino had to say about Arapo. The Warriors have three of their next four games against playoff teams, so it will be very important the last few weeks here to say the we this to say the least. Excuse me. Um, Gino also said this about Legend. Regis next week and Pine Creek after that. Legend needs to at least split those games to be serious contenders this week. Absolutely agreed there. Cody said this about Arapaho. He said this, the Warriors start off with an easy league matchup before it ramps up for basically the rest of the season. With Legend, he just say, it's Chap. Uh, <laughs> Gideon said this about Legend here. Win over Chap starts to put them back in my good graces. Feeling iffy still, but depending on how they do against Pine Creek, their rank could shoot back up. Uh, when it comes to Arap, he said this did as expected over Smoky Hill. So, there you go there. Legend and Arapo tied there at 5. Uh, at 4 is Littleton West. Well, actually, the next couple of teams stay the same here. Uh, Littleton West at 4. Ralston Valley at 3. Pine Creek at 2. Cherry Creek at 1. This is what the boys have to say about them here. Um, Gino with Littleton West at 4. Said there's a lot of teams have played Pomona close, but Littleton West stomped on them. Nice win for them. About Ralston Valley said this with a tough schedule like Ralston's. It's probably it probably felt like a bye week playing against Lakewood. Um, with Pine Creek, this is what Gino said about Pine Creek. I finally put Pine Creek in my top two after they showed out against uh, Fountain Fort Carson matchup wise. I think there's only one team in 5A 
that is more talented than Pine Creek. And that is the team he has ranked ahead of them at number one is Cherry Creek. He said this. Heron and Vodka is an offensive duo that any team in the state would dream to have. Behind that offensive line, Cherry Creek looks indestructible. Cody says this about our top five teams here, top four teams here. Um, Littleton West, the Rebels take care of the Panthers. But I wanted to take the time to point out that they have thrown 19 more passes to this point in the season this year than they did last year. But we are in the wrong, right? Uh, yeah, hey, Littleton West winning by passing the ball. Remember when they got mad at us for saying that, uh, you know, they should pass the ball more and they might win more? So there you go there. Ralston Valley, this is what Cody said, uh, typing this before they even play Lakewood. Not sure how disrespectful it is, but I know the time it saves. Pine Creek at two. He says this, a hounding defense and a steady dose of Jonathan Core keeps the Eagles flying high at two. Then at number one is Cherokee, uh, or sorry, not Cherokee Trail. It's Cherry Creek who beat Cherokee Trail. He said this, Cherokee Trail was just cannon fodder for Creek's warm-up to league. Now Gideon shakes some things up here. Uh, he said this about Ralston Valley. Did as expected over Lakewood, who he has Ralston at four. Again, it's a little tin West didn't say anything. But at two, he has Cherry Creek. He says this, a blowout win over Cherokee Trail. Does not do as much for me as Pine Creek's win over Fountain for Carson. And so at number one is now Pine Creek for him. The win over Fountain for Carson proved that Pine Creek has it uh, for the real big boys, not just what we know of Valorant's this year. The Eagles have a real chance to go undefeated, with Legend being their only real challenges left here. So there you go there. Um... I'll, so, okay, let me say my top of four here. So, Littleton West at four, Ralston Valley at three, Pine Creek at two, Cherry Creek at one. Uh, Littleton West did what they needed to do. Ralston Valley did what they needed to do. Pine Creek, it was a good win over Fountain for Carson. This is kind of where I disagree a little bit here with Gideon. Um, it's a good win, but they, they should have definitely won this game. I never really thought that. It could have went either way. I definitely had Pine Creek favored. If Fountain for Carson won, I wouldn't have been surprised, as surprised as uh, some of these other matchups. But for me, it's Cherry Creek still here at one. Um, I mean, they blasted Ralston Valley, who I think is a much better team than Fountain for Carson at this point. So I will take that win still over Pine Creek's win over Fountain for Carson. Now, don't get it twisted. Pine Creek showed me this week that they can go to state and they can win it. I will say that. But until they do, we'll have to see what happens. They haven't been to state in years, mind you. And even in 5A, I mean, they haven't been to state. This is their second year in 5A, so we'll have to see about that. Cherry Creek continues to roll here. I mean, obviously, in the Centennial League, they'll play some tough teams. But I'm just not worried. Uh, I really like Brady Vodka and what he's been doing. Got to shout out, shout out him. Jordan Heron, explosive as always, but this offensive line for Cherry Creek has proven to be the best day in, day out. So, gotta trust them. Um, so, there you go. Uh, also, we'll say this about Cherry Creek. Myself and Gino looked at some projections for playoffs. If Fairview wins their first round matchup, which they probably will, it most likely would be against a Rock Canyon or Eagle Crest. Maybe Eagle Crest could be tough, but Rock Canyon, I think they beat for sure. If Fairview does win that matchup and the rankings stay the same here moving forward, 
Fairview would get to play Cherry Creek in the first round or in round two, first round game for Cherry Creek, though. And that could be a potential upset projecting very far into the future, you know, but just saying, you know. All right. Now. To go over our power rankings one last time here for 5A. Just outside is Chatfield. Tied for 10th is Fairview Regis Jesuit. 9 Fountain for Carson. 8 Mountain Vista. 7 Grandview. Tied for 5th Arapahoe and Legend. 4 Littleton West. Uh, 3 Ralston Valley. 2 Pine Creek. And at number 1 still is Cherry Creek. Thank you, Coach V, for taking us through the power rankings. And thank you, everyone else, for all of your recaps as well as your Playmakers of the Week that everyone chose. Just as a reminder, the way that we do Playmakers of the Week here is it is brought to you by Code Red Coaching, where the grind to greatness starts with the mind. Visit coderedcoaching.com or go ahead and give a call to 720-979-1914 and schedule your appointment today. That's Code Red Coaching at coderedcoaching.com or at 720-979-1914. And they bring us the Playmakers of the Week, where each one of us, depending on what we had for the recap, has a few candidates, and then we choose a winner for the biggest impact player from each classification, 1A through 5A. 1A being Coach V, 2A being Gideon, 3A being myself, and then 4A and 5A being Gino. So, let's start from the top this week. I always like to jump around and see which ones we got. I'm actually going to read all of the nominees here first and then go ahead and go through the winners. So 5A nominees are Jordan Heron out of Cherry Creek, who had 117 yards on 10 carries and three rushing touchdowns all in the first half. Another nominee from Gino here is Moises Freeman out of Valor Christian, who had two picks for 62 interception return yards, five tackles, and helped shut down a top 10 opponent, that being Castleview. Jonathan Kaur of Pine Creek got 192 yards on 21 carries and three scores, while also going 5 of 5 for point after touchdowns and 1 of 1 on field goals. And Liam Zarka out of Geno's alma mater Grandview here going 19 of 32 for 267 yards, three passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, 55 yards rushing, coming for a total of five total touchdowns and the game-winning touchdown versus league rifle League rival, very important uh, detail there in that win over Eagle Crest. Now, the nominees for 4A go as followed. Uh, we have two submissions from Fruit of Monument, one being Shad Huddleston with 10 tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks, and an interception, and the win over Heritage. And Amari Wilson, who had 159 yards and five of Fruta's six total touchdowns on 20 carries. There's also Luke Chevalier out of Golden who had 149 yards and all four touchdowns for Golden on 15 carries in their win over Bear Creek. And then Russell Patton out of Far Northeast who had 353 yards and four touchdowns on only 15 carries in the Warriors' win over G-Dub. Now for me, I had a couple of options here for 3A Playmaker of the Week. One was Caleb Wells who ran for 230 yards and three touchdowns in Palisades' first win of the season over Evergreen. There's also, once again, Marcus McFadden of Riverdale Ridge, eight receptions for 135 yards and two touchdowns. There's also Frankie Dardano out of Denver North here, who had five total touchdowns. Four of those were through the air and another one on the ground for over 250 total yards as they spank Skyview 35 to nothing. And then Jacob Yusuf here, 
for Discovery Canyon, going for 183 yards and four touchdowns on just 20 carries. And then on the defensive side of the ball, also notching two TFLs, a sack, and six total tackles. Gideon's nominees from 2A are Sean Smith from the Academy, who had 36 rush yards, 128 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns, 107 kick return yards, one kickoff return for a touchdown, and a conversion in the Academy's game. So three total touchdowns and well over 350 total yards. Uli Tafoya out of Forge Christian, who had 268 rushing yards, four rushing touchdowns in their win over the Academy. Logan Gross out of Rifle, 144 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, 97 rush yards, two rushing touchdowns, as well as on defense, a pick six, it looks like, or at least 94 interception return yards on an interception and six tackles in their win over Moffat County. Vince Holkalter of Timnith, who had 25 tackles and one for loss in their loss. And Chase Knopf out of Prospect Ridge Academy, who went 21 of 39 for 274 yards, four passing touchdowns, and then 112 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. Now in 1A, Simon had three here. Once again, Caleb Camp, almost always a candidate here. He had 103 receiving yards, a tackle, and two picks in their 14-7 win over North Fork. There's also Clay Crawford here going for 129 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns in their 33-0 win over Cedar Ridge. And then Wyatt Sprague out of Holyoke had two passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, and a blocked punt. Now let's go ahead and go over the winners of each in the reverse order. Coach V will choose ASMR on the uh, Yeti mic. Still need some work. Wyatt Sprague out of Holyoke. Obviously, not only does he get three touchdowns and a blocked punt, but this win over Ray is a very quality very high-quality win and a very important game for the Dragons to be taken seriously. Gideon's choice for 2A Playmaker of the Week was Logan Gross, obviously going nuclear for five total touchdowns, maybe even a sixth if there is a pick six in that win over Moffat County, but you know, very close to uh, 400 yards, well over 350 yards in that win. Myself, for 3A, I am going to go with Jacob Yusuf out of Discovery Canyon. Not only is this a nice win down south over Harrison, but I just think that his ability to dominate on both sides of the ball for both units that were just clicking like a well-oiled machine is very important for Discovery Canyon, and I will give it to this Thunder fella here. For a the Playmaker of the Week is going to be Amari Wilson. I mean, scoring five of your six of your team's six total touchdowns is already freaking nuts. But to do so against a top three ranked opponent for us here at the podcast goes an even further way. And while, you know, there were defensive performances for Fruta, ultimately offense is what brings this one home in a 37 to 34 shootout. And then in 5A here, once again, lots of great options here, but Liam Zarka, of Grandview will bring it home with five total touchdowns and the game winner over Eagle Crest to start league. Not sure if uh, Gino has a little bit of Homer in him, but as a reminder to run through it, the playmakers of the week are as follows. 5A, Liam Zarka of Grandview. 4A, Amari Wilson of Fruit of Monument. 3A, Jacob Yusuf of Discovery Canyon. 2A, Logan Gross of Rifle. And 1A, Wyatt Sprague of Holyoke. 
Once again, those Playmakers of the Week are brought to you by Code Red Coaching. Visit coderedcoaching.com or call 720-979-1914 and schedule your appointment today. That's 720-979-1914 or go to Code Red Coaching today where the grind to greatness starts with the mind. And that will do it for this episode of Playmakers Corner. I want to give a shout out to my guys on the podcast. Obviously, Gideon with his Thompson Valley Nightwatt recap, as well as his 2A recap, and all of his votes on the power rankings. Gino here for holding it down in 4A and 5A here for those recaps. Thank you for bringing us through that as well. And obviously, the contributions to power rankings. Coach V for the flag football recap, especially with the season coming to a near end here with regionals coming up this Saturday. Very excited to check those out here, as well as his recap of Woodland Park versus Manitou Springs. If you did not listen to that, double back because that is a game of the year candidate as of right now. And the 1A recap and Playmaker of the Week that he provided, as well as running the power ranking segment. And sure, I'll give myself some respect. I'm going to put some respect on my name. You know, this is the last episode I am editing and recording as a 24-year-old. So, uh, yeah, there we go. Happy birthday to me and celebrate me. Everyone worship me <laughs> in the comments. <laughs> and give your boy a follow on uh, Twitter or X or whatever. But while you do that, go ahead and actually find the podcast here on Twitter at Playmaker Corner or on Instagram or Facebook at Playmakers Corner where we post the episode covers, Playmakers of the Week, Games of the Week, and all kinds of those updates as well as post our links and let you know when we have new episodes out. Those episodes, of course, coming out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or basically anywhere that you listen to podcasts that gets distributed as well as on YouTube and yeah, those are the places to listen to us. And then be sure to check us out on TikTok where we are always posting highlights of games that we attended over the weekend. Lots of games this past weekend to post highlights of. So be sure to check that out. But I have been your showrunner for this. Cody Stoffer, joined and contributed to by Coach V, Gideon, and Gino. And I'm calling it quits on 301. Peace.